Hello everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano aka The Don and if you're listening to this you could only be here for one reason and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast brought to you by Comic Book Click and as you know I am never alone, sir please introduce yourself. I am Dan the Comic Man ladies and gentlemen. Dan the Comic Man has arrived here in studio and we're going back into the web that is Spider-Man, talking a little bit about the Spider-Man, the animated series, particularly the three-episode arc known as the Alien Costume. But before we get into all that 90s uh, just love, how you been, Dan? Oh, I've been great. It's been a good week, you know, uh, now that Iron Fist is beyond me, now that (laughs) Which is Worst is beyond me, I'm... Back to my regular broadcasted schedule of watching good things. Oh, yes, exactly, exactly. And then you hit me with this out of nowhere. It was cool. Well, I wanted to do something uh, sort of nostalgic. We did um, the Daredevil Born Again, which was a a 1980s um, comic. Uh, And we've done a lot of, like, I I did, like, the 90s Captain America on here. But we rarely go into the animated stuff. This might actually be one of the first animated things that we cover. Here as a part of major issues, and as far uh, as like nostalgia goes, or just all around like a series. I think like all around in general. Yeah, because we only reviewed Teen Titans Go to the movies. Other right. than that, this would be our first TV uh, animated comic book series covering. And Teen Titans Go to the movies was a major theatrical release, so it was a little bit different than um, other animated things that come out. Like Mask of the Phantom was also a theatrical release, but we've yet to do something like this before. So um, I'm excited for it. But in general, you know what we're really came to mind when i started watching this stuff is how far we've gotten as far as um how much comic book properties are accepted from uh when i was watching that show at five years old spider-man the animated series to now now i'm pretty sure you've seen it and everyone who's listening to this has seen it but they've already released some of the footage for the joaquin phoenix joker movie yeah the makeup and the still shots from the sets and in 1995 when i'm watching this animated series i never would have thought in a million years that we would get our own solo joker movie and it just shows you how much the time has changed are you excited i'm I'm, uh, I'm worried about the about a solo what can you really do with a solo joker story that doesn't involve batman the whole i mean i don't want to say that joker is joker's nothing without the batman because joker is a character that can stand on his own it's just uh, it, it's hard to see him, especially running the streets of Gotham, doing chaos without the Dark Knight stopping him at least once, or at least but making one appearance. That's incredibly ironic, right? Because next month we get the Venom movie, and seemingly it's without Spider-Man, and it's the uh, same another argument, weird, right? like, another weird we, property. It's, yeah, it's like what are you guys doing? Um, apparently, everybody who's not Marvel is just going to get us to fall in love with the villains first. I mean. I don't want. Uh, I guess I don't want uh, Joker to be too romanticized, but the character is complex in itself to to warrant its own. I guess to warrant its no, own. No, it, it, it's become an iconic ca- uh, villain. It's like probably the most iconic villain in comic books. Right? Well, it's, he's beloved since, and revered. Yeah, especially since uh, Heath Ledger's portrayal in The Dark Knight. I yeah, mean, that really put it on a whole new level. Of okay, now we can really do this with the Joker. We can take it to this angle. He doesn't have to be this campy Cesar Romero Jack Nicholson Joker we can make him complex and dark but still lovable and catching to the fans yeah and still gritty and grounded in realism less less laughing gas and more 
uh, just razor blades and, and uh, TNT. Like well, I would love to see some acid-spitting uh, flower I Patel. Want, uh, I want the Joker, the Jokerization to come back. When he used to Jokerize people and their their mouths would uh, get stuck in the permanent grin. Yeah, like, they, they, had in, they had that in, in, a, in a Jack Nicholson's portrayal. Like exactly. that was he, he was selling cream on TV that right. was Joker cream. Right, it had the Joker toxin in it and it would make people have these weird outstretched grins and... Um, you know, they did. They even did it in the animated series. I mean, it looked grotesque, but could you imagine? Yeah, they that always now? laughed. Yeah, could you imagine that now? Like people laughing to death, or like it could be really some some sinister. Um, and with the imagery. level of makeup effects that we, the special effects and makeup effects that we have today, you can definitely make it look like menacing and disgusting. Like you can crank their faces with so many creases and wrinkles, right. make it almost inhuman. The, yeah, the, even the, the sound design can make it sound like like their their bones and their jaws is like morphing. Or, or that there's pain and they're being forced to laugh. Like, there's a lot of horrific things you could do with somebody who's forced to like, laugh. Like, look at Tim death. Drake from The Return of the Joker oh, in, the, yeah. in, the dark, in the Batman Beyond movie. That's a good pull. Where you see him, like, uh, crying while he's laughing. And you see the tears coming down his face. And he he's, stop, he's yeah. actually crying. Like, you can tell him. No, you can tell he's crying. But you hear him laugh. Yeah, he can't stop. And so that they, they can really get to there. I'm just I just hope that they don't. Uh, romanticize them too much, create too much sympathy for the character. But then that almost, you know, before we get into a deep discussion about stuff like that, but that, you know, it brings to mind this whole idea of redemption of, of supervillains, right? Like, we live in a world now where we should feel that people are redeemable, right? It's one bad day, one bad act doesn't label somebody for life. Uh, if you believe in the good of humanity, then you kind of have to believe that people are redeemable. Well, I also believe that some people are just evil just to be evil. Not everybody needs a redeeming quality. Like, there's uh, theories going around that the Heath Ledger Joker is this uh, PTSD so, army yeah. vet. That that's why he has all these strategies and all these weapons. And I'm just like, why can't you just let some people just be evil for the sake of being evil? Not everything needs to be simplified. Not everything needs to be understand. Right. Some people are just born evil. Yeah. That's what I loved about the Rob Zombie's Halloween. Michael oh. Myers. They even said it. Some people were just born evil. I think my I think Rob Zombie was kind of just one evil. Have, well, have you seen some of those movies? I, I don't even know how you think of half of the stuff that that guy comes up with. Well, that's but, also with Stephen King, another man who was probably born evil. Because if you read his books, almost everybody and every adult in that in his books are horrible. Yeah, there's always this weird '80s Stand By Me villain esque. Yeah, you know, no, I, you're right. Like there's always uh, bad things in a Stephen King book that's just. This band is weird. Uh, we a lot of that stuff, the Joaquin Phoenix stuff, seems to be filmed in New York. It was cool to see the train station scene that, they, that they're seemingly showing off. I'm and, trying not uh, to watch anything till the till the movie comes. Like I, I, I couldn't stay away from seeing the pictures. It's literally all over everywhere I scroll. Like at least right. at least 15 of my own Instagram friends have have posted that picture of him with the clown makeup. So I, I believe somebody from the movie camp had come up come out and just basically said that a lot of the uh, that they're upset about the level of paparazzi um, with this film, like every film, and so shots get snuck out and shots get taken when they're not well, yeah, supposed you, to. You, it's hard to like stop everybody. Somebody is gonna get. If somebody ha catches an angle, someone's gonna pull out a phone and someone's gonna take a picture. Exactly, and so the, the idea is that well, with all the bad photos out, we might as well release some actual stuff to. Yeah, it's like the Deadpool. The Right. Uh, test footage all over again. But you remember the same thing happened with Shazam. When Shazam first came out, people were like, oh, I don't know about the outfit. I don't know how that looks, yada, yada, yada. And then even uh, Zachary Le uh, Levi, I did this last time. Was it Levi or Levy? I think it's Levi. <laughs> he comes out and he's like, um, wow, uh, you know, you haven't seen the whole thing. Don't let these photos um, 
dictate your excitement. Well, that's happened to a lot of, especially DC characters. It's happened like uh, Grant Gustin's when he first originally came out as Flash. I saw pictures of him from set, and I did not like it. It looked really like maroon, like burgundy. Right. And then the show came out, and it was really red. So I was like, okay, at least they fixed it in post production. Yeah, so they definitely have time to um, to save it. But DC, um, it's kind of odd that they're going in that direction. Like, a lot has come out of this. More has come out of this Joker film, this Joaquin Phoenix Joker film, than has come out of the supposed Green Lantern movie. The, the supposed, supposed Batman movie? Flash movie that's supposed to be on, on record, on deck for DC for quite some time. Because it's the Joker. This is the most. This is the most popular villain. He sells tickets. Yeah, he does. He does. Any movie that has the Joker in it is going to sell tickets. People went to see Suicide Squad with the initial Thinking, re- yeah. a, a thought that Joker was going to be a big part of that movie. Even I thought that Joker was going to be the villain of that movie. Right. Not hula hooping, dancing witches. And I also, you know, it. This seems to be a standalone tale, um, but with Marvel's. Uh, with Marvel's way of telling stories, I wonder if the common fan will get confused with the idea that there's multiple of one person versus what's going on with MCU, where it's like that is just one story written large. Do you think uh, the casual fan will be able to catch on to the fact that this is a one shot, kind of like how um, the original Batman films were? Well, right? I, I would think because um, since uh, ben, ben Affleck. Batman was in Suicide Squad that had Jared Leto playing that Joker. I think fans would be able to tell, okay, this is a whole different continuity. This has nothing to do with the DCEU. If I can't believe they're calling it that, but I don't think I don't think fans would be. I think fans would be able to catch on that it has nothing to do with that specific universe. Like you watch, like you're gonna watch Venom in theaters, and there, there'll be fans that know, okay, this isn't MCU. This has nothing to do with Thanos and and Marvel and all that, like. So, yeah. So I mean, the common fan I think could could be able to to pull that thread a little bit. I mean, there's always gonna be one. There's always gonna be well, one. Here, per- no, well, here's the thing, right? If this movie kills, right? Because I mean, things have not been going so well for the DCEU. As, uh, Wonder Woman is probably the, their their biggest champion at the, at the moment. So if this film goes well, this Joker film, and it, it knocks everybody off their feet, um, do we live in a world where we get rid of Jared Leto? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, the Joker, the Joker, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the Joker, hey, ca- casting as a Joker is like one of the highest honors. It's like being casted right. as Batman in a movie, you know. But it, we were always told that, like, joke that Leto's Joker would return in the, in the like Suicide Squad twos or um, Gotham City Sirens of the world to play alongside uh, Margot Robbie. Um, but I would argue if. if Joaquin kills it. I mean, maybe we need to rethink this whole thing. You know, maybe no, he no. Is. It, listen, if Joaquin does a lot, because I, everybody always tries to defend Jared Leto's Joker, saying, "Oh, he needed more screen time," or "Oh, I like this interpretation." Me, straight up, I did not like it at all. I don't like the fact that he has damage tattooed on his forehead. I didn't like the fact that he had grills because yeah. Batman knocked out his teeth, so he got grills. I didn't like that he was walking around shirtless and barefoot with a purple trench coat. And with the way this looks, you know. um, Joaquin looks a lot older, like he's been a lot, a lot older uh, version of the Joker, a lot more mature, which probably means he's a lot more troubled because he's been through a lot more. Well, and I like the makeup because, uh, like, same with uh, Jack Nicholson's. Jack Nicholson's makeup was different each time with the Joker. Like, he'll have a different outfit, he'll have a different makeup, and I like that. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker had there were some points where you could see the little uh, red circles at the end of the smile. Right. So I, I kind of dig the whole like Pagliacci. Oh, yeah. Type 1920s clown makeup style. Right. 
No, I dig it. It's just, I just, it's the same thing I told her friends. I just hope, I just want to hear his laugh first and foremost. I yeah. want to hear his laugh. It also seems, like I said, but when you look at these guys, uh, like maybe side by side, it would seem as if um, Joaquin would be like the like the Joker and then Leto would be like a pretender or a fan or even a henchman. And what, that was that, uh, <laughs> you know? what, what was that joke? Remember in the old Batman animated series that there was a jo- there was a guy that was acting like the Joker and... I think his name was like the trickster or something. Not, not the well, trickster. Well, they do have a trickster in um in uh DC. But yeah, there's always there's always there there was a point at one time where the Joker was thought to be dead, and a bunch of people uh, dressed up like clowns to kind of like he had like a weird sick fan club. Yeah, isn't like, like a Batman Beyond? Yeah. There's like a whole Joker gang. You also have that as well in Batman Beyond. So the character does inspire. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, inspire a lot of people. And um, there's also that weird sort of like urban legend mystery of the character of like, what does it take to play the Joker and what does it do to the human psyche and all this other kind of stuff? Well, Jack Nicholson didn't go crazy. That's what I say. Jack Nicholson got the role of Joker because he went crazy for Shining and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. (laughs) So, I mean, maybe it's arguable that he's already crazy. (laughs) And and Jared Leto wasn't being crazy. The thing about Jared Leto is he wasn't going crazy in the sense that Heath Ledger went crazy. He just thought, okay... This is what it takes to be crazy. Let me just email dead rats to my co Condoms cohort. and stuff? I don't yeah, know. No, he, I don't he, know. There's a lot going on you know, there. That, that, that whole interpretation of the Joker is somebody that thought they understood the Joker, but really just watched a couple of episodes of the Batman animated series and said, I can make someone who's insane and dresses like that. I can. Uh, yeah. And that's why he, uh, that scene where he puts his hand over his mouth and there's a tattoo of a hand, of a mouth on his hand and he's laughing. That stuff is just... I, it's weird. I, because DC um, introduced the uh, idea of the multiverse so early into its, uh, you know, inception itself, I I have room for these other alter, interpretation, interpretations of these characters. Oh, of course. But it's hard for me to champion them. No, it's you like keep me it watching, going. It's like me. It's like, like I, I was just having this conversation, right? So in talking about the Spider-Man, the animated series, it turns out that a lot of the cast members... Uh, were able to get together to kind of celebrate the success that it had in the 90s. It got They got together recently, and the rumor is that they're working on a new project. So I was asked if I wanted the Spider-Man the Animated Series to come back, and my first answer was no. Because my that would answer, be my first answer, too. My answer was I had that series when I was a kid, and I dug it, and I'm pretty sure there's a series going on right now that the, those that kids today dig, and they should have their yeah, version, Yeah, that Ultimate too. Spider-Man series with yeah. Drake Bell. So, like, they should be able to have their own thing, just like I was able to have my own thing. And none of them are going to be perfect. They're all going to be, you know, kind of handicapped by either ratings or network or anything. I mean, you ask stuff. anybody that's older than us by at least a good 10 years, they probably wouldn't like the Teen Titans TV show we grew up with. Right. And a lot of people would say that Spectacular Spider Man is their television. Like, like, like me personally, I don't like the He Man's and uh, Masters, uh, that Master of the Universe show. Uh, what's what's the other one? Uh, Thundercats <laughs> and uh, Transformers from the 80s. I'm not really a fan of those shows, okay. it doesn't catch me. I can see that. So, yeah, so Spider-Man the animated series and X-Men would be my Teen Titans go. You yeah. know, like, you know, you look at a, a like baby boomer adults that grew up with those cartoons, they would hate our cartoons. Right. We hate these little kid cartoons and it's going to keep going and going. <laughs> right, right, right. The cycle is going to repeat that, "Oh, this isn't my insert name of character here." But that's the point is it is yours. It's theirs too. It's all of ours. Which is the thing with this, with this Joker. Like, the, right right now we'll be getting our... Well, that's I right. Anybody that likes Jared Leto's Joker, I'm not going to sit here and judge and, and mock you, you know. Like who you want to like. It is art. It's subjective. It, it didn't attract me, but if it attracts you, then it, the, the filmmakers did something right. At least if it attracts one person, the filmmakers did something right. 
they really um they really did a good job kind of making Leto threatening, which I've always want my Joker to be. I always want him to feel like he, at any point he could just flip out no, and he do did, something he, crazy. He, he was pretty threatening. And Joaquin Phoenix just looked like a threatening man. <laughs> he just looked like a crazy yeah. man on the edge of on the edge of sanity. So I really am interested in seeing what and what direction that they go with him. Um Comic Con's coming up. We got Comic Con on, on the brink. Comic Con. Who knows what they're going to drop as far as uh trailers and news are concerned, but I am Yeah, I'm still trying to I'm open. still like staying away from trailers fully now. Like I'm yeah, just you didn't I'm even just, get to see the Captain Marvel trailer, I, right? I I just don't want to. Like I've had full opportunities. Just, I think I'm just gonna try and stay away from trailers and just watch movies when they like come. And that's just not with comic book movies. That's with all trailers. Like I'm just staying away from trailers in general because I've noticed even non-comic property trailers give either too much away or do this thing where they have like little five second teasers before the trailer even starts yeah it's garbage. so so it's like a lot of so trailers aren't the way they used to be anymore so i'm just like you know what? i just want to be excited for the movie just tell me who the director is who the writer is give me the actors and actresses and i'll put put the pieces in together by thinking of their old projects they did yeah yeah I can see that. Because if I could trust the director from the, his last three movies, then I can definitely, will go watch him do this new project, you know. I also get the same time, um, at the same time I get this idea that, they, I like I want these studios to have more confidence. I want their, I wish that their uh, trailers could be a little bit more of a puzzle box, but in the same sense, when you start doing things like that, people would, some people would say like, oh, I saw this trailer and I obviously thought it was about this. I got the message that it was this or that. And then if you do things like just show things that fans would recognize, you lose a section of the audience. And they're usually so like four too. or five minute trailers. A trailer That's, should not be four. A trailer shouldn't be more than two minutes. You get your first. The first trailer is usually about two minutes to 2.30. And then it gets to about the three, three and a half, four. And then it's, it's yeah. Like, it's I remember going. it started getting excessive around like 2008. When you go to IMDb to look up these trailers, because IMDb has everything, and you have two teaser trailers that are 30 seconds, then you have a trailer one, a trailer two, a final trailer, and then like three TV spots that are different clips of the movie on its own. It's like you can watch all six of these little trailers and piece together your own movie. So it's like, that's why I don't need trailers no more. Oh, I'm looking over at your laptop. That makeup does look pretty damn menacing. It does look pretty good. That um, makeup, you guys got it. I know you guys have definitely seen it, but the makeup from far away, he does look pretty good. Uh, it's like a 1920s. Clown. I remember. I remember first feeling of that problem with trailers with BVS. I remember it got. That was exactly when I first felt that when they showed Doomsday and Wonder Woman before the trailer even started. You just see Doomsday jump out the that slide on the thing. Yeah, and yeah. then it goes into showing the the logos. I was like, nope. Nope, nope. Even if you de- even if you decide, okay, you know, let's show Doomsday in the trailer. You know, you should have waited for the movie. But even if you're gonna show Doomsday in the trailer, why are you gonna show it now? Because you just ruined the element of surprise. Exactly. I could have been. Sur- Imagine seeing Spider-Man grab Captain America's shield, and then you see the logo, Marvel logo, and then the yeah, jump yeah. into the Civil War trailer. Yeah, it's kind of it would have totally it's a lack of confidence. You, it's, it's it's trying to get people to go in when there was a lot of people already ready to go. You know, they would have no, said people should just trust the director, trust the writer, trust the actors and actresses. But I ask too much from people. I guess I guess we all do in a kind of way with these mediums lasting as long as they do. Characters like Superman and Batman being 80 years old at this point, when something doesn't work with the property, you have to turn and look and say there has to be someone to blame because everywhere else these things have worked in books, movies, uh, cartoons. But all of a sudden, when you try to make a movie, it falls apart. None of that. None of that makes sense to me. Um, but with Comic Con. Um, 
coming up that same week of Comic-Con, the same week of New York Comic-Con, right here in the Big Apple, the Empire State, that same weekend, Venom drops. And that is the movie that is going to... This is the movie that's going to change a lot uh, because this is Sony's first gamble in this Sony universe of Marvel characters. I think everything Sony does is a gamble it at is, this point. It is, but this in particularly because because rumor has it, there, there's no Spider-Man in this. So this would be a Spider-Man story without Spider-Man in it uh, about a villain. I think this might be the first time a villain has been the, the, the protagonist. In a Marvel movie specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely in a Marvel movie. I don't know about... Uh, there was Inklings before the purchase that Fox well, was would, thinking of doing a Doom Suicide movie. Would Suicide Squad still count as like it, a first comic book movie that's solo Iron villains? Man. Yeah. Because it's followed specifically people that you know as villains. They were all in jail before they got... Yeah, I, mean, I you know, you see, but I give you that. I give you that, even though I don't like thinking of but that But as far... Movie. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know. It's... I don't like thinking of that movie, but I get, I get it. No, you're right. Um... I'll, I'll even go so far as to say that Avengers Infinity War was uh, Thanos, a solo. Thanos, that's, Thanos that is movie. a Thanos movie. That Thanos. really is Thanos' movie. Avengers, Thanos Rising. Yeah, The Rise of Thanos. That's it. I like it. Um, are you excited for the Venom movie? I'm excited to see what they're going to do. Uh, the, the act that the accent from Tom Hardy takes me out of it a, a lot, but I can put the accent aside after a while. Like, you know. Yeah. I'm really just more interested in to see how Venom works as a, as a solo story. Is there anything that can make or break this film for you? It, um, whether it just be, uh, you know, the ways to pick characters and stuff like that. Or is there anything that in movies in general is make or break for you? Well, I know nothing about anything that's in Venom's arc. Besides Venom himself, Eddie Brock, or Flash Thompson, I know nothing about their side characters. Nothing about their love interests, gotcha. their friends. So everything in that movie is going to be a surprise to me. I'm not going to go in there with like a comic book hardcore head in mind. Yeah. The only thing that would really break the film for me would be is if they do have a Spider-Man cameo, it not be Tom Holland. Like if it's wow. anybody else. Imagine. And we have a new Spider-Man. What would make the film for me is if the Spider-Man cameo is Andrew Garfield. Ah, that would go. be amazing. That would be pretty cool. That would be amazing. Literally, to me. literally amazing. If I, if I, <laughs> yeah, if I hear like Andrew Garfield's voice, like, like you know, like, hey, Tarface or something like that, you know, I, I will go crazy. I'll mark out. Yeah. I'll probably say this is the greatest comic book movie ever, just because that they made it. They, they brought back Garfield. I, I think, love Garfield. I think, you know, I write my own head canon with some of these things, and I already see a scene of like, uh, you know, Eddie Brock with the suit on, looking at a news report where. Spider-Man, they would have saved somebody, and they're like, Spider-Man, that guy's truly a hero. And then Venom does like one of those hero, and then the white spider populates on oh, his on his on his chest bad. or whatever. It's a kind of they're gonna they're gonna try to do some kind of shortcut because he doesn't he has no spider on his chest, which makes sense because he doesn't he has a miss. From any of the close-ups, they have no. There's no, a, it's like this weird. It's just all black. Like, no, it, it's like there's white. There's like these traces of white. It almost looks like electricity or veins or, or something like that. So he's not completely black. He's definitely gotten some sort of uh, detail and design. I no, mean, I, 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 I saw like symbiote like veins around like his shoulders. It's a wide, it's a wide uh, aesthetic. See that there? I'll push the screen. So down it's a little sort bit. of like a white, white veiny. Oh, that looks like, what I'm saying? Oh, that's, like, that's pretty cool, but weird, but it's yeah. cool. But it's weird. Yeah, we definitely don't have um, the spider. I just like that the mask comes through the face. Yes. And I like how they do it better than Sam Raimi's. 
Because Raimi's, it looked like the symbiote was crawling around. This one, you just see like it fully closing like a mouth. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I am going to be covering on the next episode of Eight Major Issues if we get a chance. Um, I'm currently reading the Lethal Protector arc for Venom, which is his first hero arc. And um, oh, that was the one. That's that's the one where he has like the the design. I think it was. Um, I'm trying to remember how it looked. He's like perched, right? Like I think so, yeah, yeah. And so his that thing there is about him. Uh, basically coming to a mutual agreement with Spider-Man, like, I won't mess with you if you don't mess with me. And he goes back to California, and then a sequence of things happen with the Life Foundation, which is supposedly in the Venom movie. So um, I'm just trying to get... So is this going to be like a... Like Adaptation? A, yeah, it's going to be like a rip-off... Uh, not rip-off, uh, inspired by the Lethal Protector angle? Yes, that's one arc. And uh, there was another one that I, I'm drawing a blank to right now, but I'm hoping to cover as well. And not, not to change my uh, enjoyment of the film at all, but because, honestly... I always thought Venom was kind of a cool character, and I never really took the time to find out what he was about or what was going on. No, I always thought, like, just on from his surface, Venom was always my favorite anti-hero. I never considered Venom a bad guy, even though I know growing up he was a bad guy. I just could not, from what I read, because I read a little bit of Lethal Protected growing up, not enough that I remember, but from everything that I just remembered from Venom growing up, he was never a bad guy to me. He was always, like, misunderstood. Right. You know, he was a bully. He was mean as Eddie Brock. You know, he tricked and uh, lied his way to the top. But who hasn't in this world? Yeah, you ain't lying. You know, so he he ain't nobody different than the, the common Wall Street folk. <laughs> right, right. And even more sympathetic because he was like a ham and egger. Like he was somebody. He was a freelance photographer. Um, yeah, that's even worse. You're a freelance photographer trying to lie and sneak your way to the top. That That's what you're supposed to do. The design for the character is amazing. You know, it's changed over the years uh, as it's taken on different hosts. But it's always, you know, this big hulking monstrous beast with this crazy tongue and um, sharp teeth. Uh, there's some parts in Lethal Protector where he is um, like wall crawling upside down and legitimately covered by his own slobber because the, the tongue is just excreting that weird what, the, the was the saliva green yeah yeah, yeah. i love of, that that all green over his saliva he was just like all over his face because he's upside down and stuff like that so really sick um uh aesthetics when it comes to that character what's your background on this character i'm of venom venom okay well it started from the spider-man animated series okay and then it jumped into the spider-man video games ah from yeah. the, for the original original playstation yeah and it wasn't until that i did get my hands on a lethal protector and i have to look up the cover to see what it was but from what i remember it was him perched on like webbing like the todd mcfarlane one that i gave you right it was like that but and but it was the background was like all green not green sorry background was like all red like that dark red yeah and from there it was just I want toys. I want everything I can of Venom. The Spectacular Spider-Man came out. I love that interpretation of Venom. Oh, that one was huge, right? That, Venom that was, was a really, huge was a bigger... Venom. Like, right. like his stomach and legs look small, but like basically torso up. He was like a Mack truck. Yeah. And he looked tall. Like the Venom in this animated sh- series from the 90s, he, lo- he was big, but he still didn't look... He only looked like about like maybe three, four inches taller than spider-man well, that's because spider-man in the animated series is like six three yeah he was <laughs> tall himself but this one he looked like a shadow just casting over him yeah yeah and i think that's that there's a point in that right like peter parker for the most part even regardless of like how much he might be down on his luck or outnumbered he has basically 
defeated everyone. Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, Shocker, Rhino, Sinister Six, all that kind of stuff. Venom literally is that thing that puts him in the shadow. Like, it really is that big hulking threat. Well, that's what happens that when, always, you're, uh, when your bad guy is somebody that li- literally knows your mind. Yeah. And yeah. That's why I, to, to me, I always considered Venom Spider-Man's arch enemy. His Joker, his Red Skull. Yeah. Even though I was always told by even diehard comic book fans that no more than me, no, Green Goblin is yeah. Spider-Man's arch enemy. That's like his number one back. To me, I always said it was Venom. Yeah. I think I think Venom, so it, it, it works kind of funny because I think all the, all, most heroes have this where they have their arch rival or arch nemesis, their big bad, you know, and then they have somebody that's almost their polar opposite is all the. But see, all that's the, what I always considered your arch nemesis, your your number one bad guy was your polar opposite. Yeah, uh, Xavier and Magneto work perfect because they're literally literally two sides to the same coin. Right. You know, Joker and Batman were two sides to the same coin. Same for Captain America and Red Skull. You know, the only thing that really made Green Goblin Spider Man's greatest enemy was the fact that he killed Gwen Stacy. Well, I guess you could also argue about like the duality of the character, right? Spider Man was Peter Parker, um, trap, or Spider Man was trapped in Peter Parker, and you know only through hiding your secret identity and wearing this suit can he be that. And Norman Osborn basically felt like he always was the Green Goblin. You know, like because of his insanity, he lived life as a Green Goblin and had to pretend to be Norman when he wasn't out killing people or throwing pumpkin bombs and stuff. So I think it's a little bit of that and science and all that kind of stuff. But you're I right. Have to read, I would have to actually like read, read more on their relationship than more watching it. Because yeah. Yeah, when, when, when I see interpretations of these Spider-Man stories in the cartoons or in the movies, it always seems like Venom is his... Polar, it is his polar opposite to me. I yeah. like, and if even if it's not his polar opposite, it it uh, the fact that he can't use his spider sense around him, the fact that his symbiote is webbings created from what he remembers from Spider Man's powers, the fact that his powers are Spider Man's powers. I guess I guess what ties Venom so closely to Spider Man is the origin in general. Is the idea that it's like it came um, from. They consider right. him like a dad. Without Spider Man, I, I you can you can probably jump to the conclusion that Green Goblin would have became Green Goblin. Regardless, guys like Shocker or Rhino or whatever would have been those people regardless. But without Spider-Man finding that alien suit during Secret Wars in the comics and bringing it back to Earth, you don't get Eddie Brock being you yeah. know, uh, exposed Green to the Green Goblin wasn't created by Spider-Man. No. But Venom was created by Spider-Man. Which ties them a little bit closer together, like you were saying, um, in the whole nemesis and um, hero kind of deal. I did like that he was in Marvel vs. Capcom. That was that was great. I like picking Venom. Well, he was. Oh, I think he was always in the Marvel fighting games, right? Yeah, that was what, that the Marvel vs. Capcom, Marvel Street Fighter. Yeah, he was always one guy because I remember specifically always playing him. Yeah, and you can like shoot out a little bit of the symbiote and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and he always had the same uh, fighting position as Spider Man, where they were like on like their knees crouched down with their hand above high. Yeah, they and, always had that same fighting stance. Right, which made which plays again to the mirroring aspect of of the character. Um, and so with all that excitement that we had towards the literally growing up with this character, hero, villain, whatever you want to call him, um, we were then blessed with the first ever on-screen interpretation of Venom, uh, played by Topher Grace in the role of Eddie Brock 
In he says your, blessed loosely. In your favorite film of all time, Spider-Man 3. <laughs> as, as discussed on the Witch's Worst episode, Spider-Man 3 or Amazing Spider-Man 2, which you can find wherever podcasts are found, it's part of the Major Issues podcast. How did you feel? Uh, now that the war is over, how did you feel about the Topher Grace interpretation? Of oh, my Brock God, man. Oh, okay. oh, I knew that movie was going to be a fail the second I read the IMDb casting. I will never forget sitting in my living room, excited as hell. To, to watch the new t- t- trailer because I just heard that it was going to drop. This is when AOL was huge back in the day where right, you get right. all your news from AOL Mail and all that. So I remember going straight to IMDb. You to might as well be talking about 1-800-COLLECT though. <laughs> like, what? Like, what? C-L-L-L-A-T-T. Yeah, you remember that? Mr. T oh, was on those commercials. <laughs> Carrot Top was on those commercials. Yeah, 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 C- yeah, called yeah. C-L-L-L-A-T-T. Maybe, maybe Topher Grace should have been on some of those commercials. After Probably. I remember, re- I remember reading it and I said, Topher Grace? Eric Foreman, you casted Eric Foreman to play one of the biggest villains. Not not big metaphorically, I mean big figuratively. Right. I was watching. I was a big wrestling fan at the time. I am still now, but I was really getting into it around that time. And I remember thinking, you could literally just hire Brock Lesnar and airbrush him, and you wouldn't have to worry about. It. I always wanted them to hire <laughs> Triple H to play Thor. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you get Eddie Brock, you just get Brock Lesnar, you got the flat top and all that stuff from the animated series. Oh my series. God, you do have the flat you top just, in the animated and, series. And you kind of got that, like, kind of like not all there, you know? He wasn't, he, you know, kind of got a bag of rocks up there. You're going to see Paul up. Heyman on set every time. Get my client his lemonade. And that's it. So you you would have had, um, you would have had a bigger hulking. And then if you would have had somebody like Brock Lesnar trying to tear into somebody like uh, Tobey Maguire. You would have felt sympathy for him. I don't understand why. You have Lou Ferrigno on your contract with Marvel. Why don't you just get CGI and mocap to be done by Lou Ferrigno? Yeah. You always cast a Bruce Banner, but you still use Lou Ferrigno for the CGI. Yeah. So what's the difference? And you've seen what I said about, like, I didn't dig really like the alien screeching that it was doing. Um, Probably because I have my ties to Venom are so much in the... Spider-Man the animated series. Yeah, where he snarls of, every where he's dialogue. Just like, where he's just like drooling and constantly just snarling. Are the venom. Constantly growling, which is what I figure a big hulking monster that just wants more would sound like. Um but Well, they, I would imagine that someone skinny and scrawny and a whiny brat like Topher Grace's interpretation of Venom would be screeching and yelling. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it kind of plays out like, yes, if he's big and menacing, he's going to be snarling and drooling. If he's whiny and small, he's definitely going to be then, all yelling. Uh, I just, I don't know. There was a very compelling scene that you we were talking about off air, the actual birth of Venom from that film. Yeah, I would say I do like the birth of Venom in, Amazing Sp- I'm sorry, in Spider-Man 3 more than the Spider-Man animated series. Because I felt like, I guess... They had so many subplots being thrown into one three-part episode that they just had to get things out of the way really quick. So they didn't have time to stew on the actual birth of Venom. I like Topher Grace, like, you know, taking off his sweater and then it's still coming on to him and him screaming and getting scared and it going into his mouth. He also goes to pray to God to kill Peter Parker. Which is, <laughs> that's a lot going on. He's like, God, Yeah, please, I don't think that's how God works. God, can you please kill Peter Parker? So, yes, please, God. Please kill the man that stopped me from lying, that caught me in my lie. Yeah, you know? Uh, so that's I two did, commandments. I, I did like watching that the, that drop on him and, and that, that transformation, but then everything else after that was just done so poorly. That whole, like, um, 
him running into out. a Sandman in the sh- how do you run into Sandman in the streets in New York? Do you know how big New York is? I think he might have been doing the pro though. He might have been doing the whole Wii stuff. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, he was saying you want to kill the spider, we want to kill the spider. So yeah, he okay. was saying very. He was using we the pro the idea that the symbiote and him are bonded. I don't think they has he ever named Venom in that film. Who no. would, who would call him Venom? No one called him Venom at all in the movie. No, he was just Eddie. You're the guy wearing the suit that I threw out. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense because I think in the comics it's one of those things where it's like uh, I used to I used to spew Venom. As part of the well, Daily that's what Bugle. I liked about a man in the animated series. He named himself Venom because that's what he was to Peter Parker. Right. He said, "You didn't want to accept us when we were on you. Well, now we'll be your Venom." Right. You and I think in the comics it was the idea like I work for Daily Bugle, so sometimes I spew Venom, and that's what I will be. I think I remember reading that, that so, or hearing that in Watch Mojo. So none, I none of that in in Spider Man Three, and then seemingly the character is killed. Uh, they do play up the idea that sound waves affect it. This is something that's been in all the comics. Yeah, so they, and, uh, so he the ch- there was a, they did keep to the church scene. They did keep to the church bell. Yeah, and then the sound so, waves when he was putting the metal uh, poles into the ground, then he hits them all. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty of, cool scene. I liked how it looked outside of not being on a body. Yeah, when it was just the symbiote on its own, how big it was because that did kind of look like the animated series. Yeah, so I did like a lot of the when it was kind of over. It was like they had the potential to do a good Venom story. It's just they casted the wrong person. That's really what it was. Yeah, I would have accepted everything that they threw at me if they would have just casted somebody different. I would also say that Venom is kind of one of those people that deserves their own film. And he no, they're, they're, now, he deserves so. his own film more than the Joker because there is so many different story arcs you can throw with Venom. Like, Venom was a good guy. Joker's never been a good guy. Right. I don't want to watch a movie where I'm seeing the, my main character kill everybody for the sake of fun and, you know, uh, audience banter. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I remember being really, really turned off by that interpretation of Venom and the idea of a Venom movie has kind of been floating around for a while. Well, my favorite interpretation of Venom will always be Flash Thompson's. Okay. I love the Agent Venom. I love the fact that Mr. Fantastic gave him, like, a wristwatch that has the symbiote there, and it's, like, nano and symbiote together. Right. So Flash I, Thompson loses his legs as a as a war veteran. Yeah. And um, is able to use the symbiote to not only have legs, <laughs> but um, to fight crime. He's and his whole outfit looked really dope. He had this nice, like, military utility belt. He's kind of like a symbiote Punisher, almost. Yeah. Bit, you know? So, like, give the Punisher the symbiote, and I would watch a movie like that, uh, you know? Well, Venom has exploded. You know, you did the spider. The comics did uh, a story arc called Spider Verse, where they pulled in Spider Man from all over the universe. But they also did a comic book storyline called Venom Verse, where you got to see different Venomized characters from all over the multiverse come together to try to fight uh, a common threat. So this Venom idea would this there idea be Carnage Venom, in that, or is uh, Carnage too on the no, Carnage is, Carnage is too on the extreme own, end yeah, of the spectrum? Yeah, he's his own symbiote. Um, and then Carnage is coming. I've seen Carnage. I've you know, read Carnage versus Deadpool. Carnage is a big fan. I, I'm a humongous fan of Carnage, but um, what handcuffs Carnage is that Carnage is a serial killer. And unless you're fully able in your medium, whether it's cartoons or PG-13 movies, to express that, I don't think you get the full character. Well, if they can do it with Joker, I think you can give yeah, us a Carnage kinda, movie. They kind of did. And, and I would not be surprised. I think Carnage is the big ticket item in a Venom saga. I would not be surprised if he's either hinted at or just outright shown in the in the Venom. Film. Well, Carnage always called Venom his father. It is his father. He's the offspring of that symbiote. But the problem with the symbiotes is 
all the symbiotes offspring are infinitely stronger. So if Carnage had a kid, it'd be stronger than Carnage, and Carnage is stronger than Venom. And well, that's why, yeah, that's why yeah. Venom and Peter in the show had Worked to together, stick together yeah. to take down Cassidy because he was like, and I love Cletus Cassidy as Carnage. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is fantastic. What he he killed his own parents, yeah, right? He's, he's just yeah, he's insane. He has a body count a mile away, and then with the symbiote, you know, they just seem to fit perfectly, and they are just uh, merchants of death together. But yeah, a lot of that stuff that I got for, about Venom and I got about Carnage uh, took place because of my uh, out and out blind fandom of Spider Man, the animated series that took uh, place on Fox Kids. When I was five years old, this um four kids. Yeah, th- this uh show debuts, and um I fell in love. What is your history with the Spider Man at the oh, animated series? Man, I in love. I would wake up every Saturday morning, and if you got up early enough, like I did, you would catch Batman animated series, Spider Man animated series, and X Men animated series. You'd have to keep flipping channels, but you would catch them. So I always. Always watched Spider-Man and X-Men. It was always a back-to-back on Fox, and I loved it. Flip the channels to Channel 11. You go to WB11, and you get your Batman. I loved it. Saturday morning cartoons. Kids today will never understand Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> and this was in a time where there... I mean, you've had stuff before, like the Iron Man cartoon, the Fantastic Four cartoon, and stuff like that. But between the X-Men, Spider-Man, and Batman cartoons, they Those were... Those really... were the cart... Yeah. The, the, for us 90s kids... Not anybody born in the 80s. <laughs> Us in the 90s, these were our cartoons. If you want to throw the, spoop, the Superman adventures or whatever in there. Yeah, and Justice League, you know, all those all those precursors. Um, I think the first three, though, were X-Men, Batman, and Spider-Man. Because but... it was, Batman came out, I think, 91. And Spider-Man came out in 94, same time as X-Men. Yeah, they weren't too far after the Burton... They were all right then in there, beginning of the 90s. You get kicked off with those three amazing cartoons. And Spider-Man, you know, that goes on for five seasons, which is pretty damn long when you consider And you wonder how show. long it was. It was it was that not every episode was a different story. Every episode was a continuation to right. a previous story that's being thrown. Which is, you can call or consider that comic book storytelling. The idea that when you turn the page... The last page says to be continued and makes you want to then pick up the next issue to find out the conclusion of that story. They did a lot of that in Spider-Man the Animated Series, especially in the episodes that we're going to tackle. It's a three-part series in itself, but they were able to tackle things like Secret Wars, um, interdimensional yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think like season five alone was only like two stories. I think it was yeah, Sins of Our Fathers of, in the Wedding. Yeah, they do a lot of that stuff. I think that's when uh, you find out that Mary Jane is like a clone or something like that. Yes. Oh, God. And she was like brought back from like Madam Web and all that. Damn, Madam Web. Always messing with my boy Peter in this show. At one point, it actually ended up becoming the uh, highest rated and most popular children's television show in America. Um, Beating G.I. Joe, Transformers, and He-Man? You understand what I'm talking about? What? And then, And then you got to a point, right, where... Uh, this thing was was syndicated worldwide, uh, Spider-Man the Animated Series. So because it's syndicated worldwide and other countries have different takes on what can and cannot be shown on television, especially in animated shows or shows geared towards uh, children, a lot of the violence that was on the original, that was like in the original comic and stuff like that, they had to tone down for the show just yeah, to make like sure. Two punches in yeah, this whole show. The rules were supposedly like no fists to the face, no realistic guns, no fire, no crashing through glass, no children in peril. 
No mentions of the word words death, die, or kill. Uh, Wait, one, is that why every gun looks like a super soaker? They all shoot lasers. Every single gun. They either shoot lasers, fires, or blasts. Yes. Barely fires because, again, they didn't want fires. So we've seen a lot of explosions um, in the episodes that we watched. We no fires. Smoke them. and Oh, yeah, and, and that's right. It's usually just white smoke. Smoke and debris. That's all you get. You get the concussion of the thing, but you don't see flames. But There's you know what? No they still made their fight flames. scenes interesting. They still kept it packed with action. They did. They, they kept did. it very funny. I didn't know uh, that uh, how much the uh, show adhered to these strict guidelines because... I couldn't tell. As a kid, I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything else. And even when you go back as an adult, I went back recently, like six years ago, to rewatch this show when Netflix had all of our animated series from what we had growing up. Yeah. I went and I binged all of them because I didn't know how long they were going to be there. So I remember going back and still being entertained by this show. And the one thing that took away the most about the animated series of Spider-Man was the writing. Yeah. I loved all of Parker's quips. Yeah. His jokes, his references. Oh, I now I know what a TV dinner feels like. You know, that's from yeah. Die Hard. Like this right. stuff is funny. Yeah, it was it was it was really good. And um, they again while entertaining us, they were educating us so much on what was the Marvel universe of characters with by introducing the X Men, bringing them into the Spider Man series. You have Captain America in there. There's Iron Man in there. Uh, oh yeah, I wrote down up. like everybody. That, I think I wrote down almost everybody ah, that they had list? in here. Ah, let's hear it. I would love to hear what kind of great cameos showed up in Spider Man the Animated Series because that's a lot of my first introductions to a lot of these characters. They had um, they had the X Men, which of the X Men they had Jubilee, Beast, Rogue, Storm, Cyclops, and Wolverine. Uh, they had um, Fantastic Four. They had Black Cat, Blade. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Punisher. As far as villains go, I remember they had um. Kingpin, the Sinister Six, which was a uh, uh, Doc Doctor Octopus, uh, what was it? Uh, Mysterio, right? Was part of. Yeah, there's different Sinister Six, but like yeah, Vulture, but basic Rhino, Sinister Six, they had Scorpion. Yeah, they 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 really like didn't shy away from showing that this was a Marvel property, and, and they had a lot of Marvel characters in here. Towards the end, you had him teaming up with the Fantastic Four to take down Doctor Doom in a with uh, the help of Green Goblin in another world and. There was Hobgoblin was even in this. I didn't even know who Hobgoblin was growing up to the point where I thought Hobgoblin was Harry. Ah, yes. I always thought Hobgoblin <laughs> was Harry. Harry so Osborne. when Spider-Man 3 came out and I saw that James Franco was taking over the role and it said New Goblin, I was like, New Goblin? Why don't you just call him Hob? You could have just called him Hobgoblin. It would sound cool. Come to find out, Hobgoblin's not even related to Norman Osborn. Yeah. No, nah, he's some other guy uh, completely. But he was, I think he was shown more in this show than the Green Goblin really was. Yeah, well, you know, the uh, half of the creative team that put together this show was really, really invested in what marketing and merchandise that they can make. Uh, you know, <laughs> Spider-Man is probably the most popular superhero as far as merchandise is concerned. And this is Oh, it's, he's the face of Marvel. He's, this is a study done. I think it goes Spider-Man, then uh, Batman and Supes. So they are that 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 to me that is that that would be it. Those three symbols. It would be Spider-Man, then Batman, then Superman. Yeah, and Spider-Man three... number one because that's what you can market the easiest to kids. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you have a show where no one punches them, each other in the face. And I don't know how it would have felt then watching a bunch of like really aggressive uh, Spider-Man stuff because again that's what I grew what I grew up with. He never hit anybody. He would throw people. Uh, in this, he always uses webs. Yeah, in this he throws a, st- a bunch of people. Uh, but. 
Yeah, I, again, yeah, he's always picking up people and throwing them. Again, I did not feel like I missed out anything on this. Uh, how do no, you feel no. about the the voice cast, the voice actors in this? I would say this, and here comes the pitchforks and evil riots. I say that this voice cast of Spider Man is way more iconic than Kevin Conroy's. Than Batman's uh, voice, yes. voice acting. I well, think you this know, is the. I think this is probably sh- the. They both share Mark Hamill. Because Mark Hamill plays the Hobgoblin. Yes, that's right. Mark Hamill does play Hobgoblin. So they both, both Batman and Spider-Man share that. I mean, it's hard to compare the two. Yeah. They both are, in their own right, iconic and the best. If you're going to make a Mount Rushmore, those would be two comic book voice actors that I would throw up there. Yeah. But it's just, as far as Spider-Man's voice goes from the 90s, yeah. that is the voice of Spider-Man. That's the voice everyone has in their head. If you grew up around that Spider-Man, that's the voice you have in your head when you read the comics. They made it a point to make this Spider-Man um, a college, like, you know, a college he student. He seemed even more. He seemed like, a, like older, an adult. Yeah. Way older, way It was probably more, the Raimi uh, treatment traveled. where, like, half the season, the half the series he was, like, in college. And the other half he was more of an adult because he had his own apartment. Yeah. He was working for Connors. He was, wait, he wasn't working? Wait, oh, you're talking about it in the movies. Well, I'm saying, like, this series is it has the Raimi oh, treatment gotcha, where, yeah. like, the first half of the movie was like he's a college student i know right. he was a high school student and then the rest Graduated, of the series he's a col- he's this college, college right. but he also holds down a job because this he was very adult yeah and he, i would like still I said, say even his animation made him look like he was 32 that's what i'm saying the guy looks like he's six foot uh six and 250 pounds of muscle and then i looked um, up the cat the guy that played his voice christopher daniel barnes dude he was a kid isn't he from uh i want to say he's from brady bunch I see Brady. Yeah, I see a very Brady special, the Brady Bunch. Which one is that? That one's the. Who? Ah, he played uh, Greg Brady in the Brady Bunch movie. That was <laughs> Greg Brady. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, check that out. Oh God, that was the one with the uh, Gary, uh, Gary Oldman playing. Yeah, but he, uh, de- he Mr. Brady. He was uh, definitely Spider Man, and then he returned to play Spider Man Noir in the 2010 video game Spider Man Shattered Dimensions. I think that's the only Spider-Man game that I haven't played up until this one, new one. There is so many I heard, Spider-Man I heard, games, which makes sense because, well. Well, my favorite will always, my favorite to me personally, as old as it is and a product of the time as it is, I love Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 1. That came out in like 2000, 2001, where uh, Doc Ock and Carnage are working together and they release like this toxin that has like the whole ground like covered in smoke, so now you have to stick to the rooftops. Oh wow! Mary Jane is being kid. There's a scene. There's a a fight scene. A whole sequence where Mary Jane is being kidnapped by Venom, and you have to like follow him on top of a train, and you have uh, to fight like uh, lizard people on top right, of the right. train. Yeah. And the whole time you're just hearing the you know the non-playable character talk. The, oh, you have to get your little lady. The right. switch, idiot! Turn on the switch. And you have Mary <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jane yeah. being repeatedly saying it because you don't know what's going on. You're just going through the same. Yeah, and you're literally just. And I, that's what I hated as video games growing up. Okay, even as a kid, I'm like, okay, I understand. I'm moving as fast as I can right now. Like you're gonna keep replaying, replaying the same three dialogues over and over. That I used to be able to. I used to have to turn the TV on mute. Ah. Sometimes then I figured out in the settings you could turn off audio and just keep music. Yeah. So I would keep my background music and turn off all the audio because like I don't need to hear the same three dialogue. I also may be wrong, but I feel like there was a Spider-Man game where you could have the Venom suit and choose whether or not you want to be good or bad, and then depending on what you did, uh, it would change the course of the video game. So if any of the listeners out there know what the heck I'm talking about, that's probably let me a, know because... a newer one from like yeah. like 2010s and stuff because they really had those uh. 
change of heart type character, duality character games came out around that time, like 2011, 12, yeah. Infamous and all that, Watch Dogs. Yeah, no, you're right. But we are way, way past. We got to go all the way back to the 90s because when I think of the Spider-Man the Anime Series, I think of the Kingpin. Uh, King- the best interpretation <laughs> of the Kingpin. I don't know what accent the guy was doing. It was definitely something exotic, this guy, uh, the Kingpin. Maybe he was from Latveria. He might have been from that area. Or Sokovia. There's nothing not saying that he's from that area. But um, he, uh, Kingpin was played by Roscoe Lee Brown, an African-American voice actor who I thought killed it. I also think he might have played Mordo on the uh, show as well because he also had that weird exotic voice. But Kingpin was structured as the main antagonist throughout the show. All machinations of evil doings came from Kingpin. And his secret, top secret, could never ever find it lair inside the, the Chrysler building, <laughs> which was, which is one of the most iconic parts of the New York skyline. And literally, parts of the Chrysler building would open up to reveal his evil plans and uh, machines and spider slayers and all kinds of things. So I thought that was uh, pretty cool. But I always liked um, Kingpin's involvement in well, this. It kind of reminds me of, well, not that that kind of reminds me, the Netflix. Marvel series reminds me of the Spider-Man animated series being that Kingpin does seem like the overall main antagonist of... Because of my love for this series, my dream is that the Netflix Marvel series will allow Kingpin to be the antagonist for all shows. I think he should. Um, because he, 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 he always acted like a force to not be reckoned with. Like, I don't care about no hand. I don't care about no ancient mysteries. Yeah. I want power. Right. And um, he's the only character that I, I can think of that just is so tied up with all the heroes in Marvel from you know one way or another for various reasons that I think he would kill he would literally kill as a solo villain here and for five seasons again he was the biggest uh thorn in Spider-Man's side Him on the show. Him and Luke Cage would be great. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, and it can get kind of dicey there but I really but really I liked him. I liked Alistair Smythe in this show too. Uh, I liked the Spider Slayer in his in his super cool wheelchair because as a kid I never took him seriously. Not that I don't take people in wheelchairs seriously, you <laughs> yeah, know. Where, yeah, where are we going? With it's this? just I didn't take I, I didn't know who he was with no comic knowledge. Just being a kid watching a cartoon, I always found him as like you know the feeble sidekick. Like he was he was just nobody. Then I right. come to find out, no, this man has like wings coming out of his back with like these spikes. Like his animation in this TV show was great. Like his his palette was gray. He had like this gray, dirty like skin tone. Right. Oh, well, no, because he ended up doing some kind of uh, experimentation on himself, and then he grew those weird, like, wing things that was... Yeah, it was like a wing, and it's, like, sticking out, like, spikes. Yeah, it gets crazy. But now, let's let's get to the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Let's talk about the three-episode arc called uh, The Venom Saga, a.k.a. The Alien uh, Costume. The Alien Costumes, part one, two, and three. Uh, I guess a brief overview... Uh, well, how do you feel about these, these these three episodes? I mean, it's been a while since I watched an entire arc of this show, like quite some time. And um, although I peeked in from time to time, just out of nostalgia reasons, they, they get through a lot on this show. Yeah, I was just they they do a good job having a lot of subplots crammed into eighteen minute episodes. Because if you you know count if you don't count commercials, these are like eighteen minute episodes. Right. So everything is moving really quick. Like every scene is like when it gets to the third part of the of the chapter. All these scenes are closing out quick. Like, okay, now he's with Mary Jane. Now he's saying goodbye to Jane and Joma Jameson. Right. Now he's doing this. Now he's doing that. 
or like in the part two, he has to jump from fighting Shocker to rescuing this person to doing that. Like the way they pace it is really well. They definitely juggle a lot. But what's interesting is that I think it's all a plot because there is no like now let's go see the mini story of Aunt May trying to sell a toaster. No, no, everything, no, no, everything all, is a plot. It's all a plot. But they're constantly jumping around between who, like, we're dealing with Spider-Man and the A-plot, and then we'll walk to the, the villain with the A-plot, and then we'll go back to Peter with the A-plot, and then the villain again, then Spider-Man. They, um, we got to see basically the the, the cartoon debut of Rhino. Uh, yes. This. Um, we, uh, oh, no, 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 he was in the 60s Spider-Man. What I mean on this show. Because oh, yeah. Because first pops show. up, they're like, who, the guy's like, who, who the heck is this? Uh, Alexei Savage. Savage. Of my movie fame, <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 2, the greatest Spider-Man movie of all time. Uh, wow. I, I don't like Total that Total slap in the I face. I like that to laugh just... Total slap me, in the face to... That like, laugh told me everything I need to know. But um, we the, the episode starts off with John Jonah Jameson, fabled uh, son of... of um, Legacy reporter J. Jonah Jameson. You know, the guy no one cared about in the second Spider-Man movie? Right. The guy who had the, 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 the putts that did the upside-down kiss on the couch. What are you doing, guy? What are you doing? Wow, I'm back in the moon. What? Oh. <laughs> that, oh. Anyway, anyway. So, John Jonah Jameson is... <laughs> is uh. He he was on the moon, or I believe he was on the moon, and he finds what they call Prometheum X, which uh, they seem to think is going to be some sort of power source. It's a, it's a space rock that was, quote-unquote, bleeding some black uh, fluid. They bring the space rock, put it in some kind of jar, and just fly the ship back to New York. And we're told that this ship is going to make the first ever landing in JFK Airport. On a commercial airport. A, a space shuttle. It's just going to... I don't even know they had to like dock. It's I don't even know you things. can release spacecrafts in New York alone. That's You're what I'm saying. Land like, them here. It's not a situation of just landing like the wheels hit, right? Aren't you supposed to like dock? Yeah, those you have things? to dock it. Um, yeah, but screw it. Uh, in the Spider-Man universe, we're just gonna fly this uh, space shuttle onto the tarmac of of uh, JFK. But um, the symbiote gets out. This black evil gunk gets out. Gets all over the pilot and the, his co-pilot because there seems to be only two people on this excursion, and um, causes them to crash their uh, space shuttle onto the George Washington Bridge. Uh, Kingpin finds out that the Prometheum X, Prometheus X, whatever, is on this shuttle, and so he makes a special call to the Rhino to go get it picked up. Uh, it was cool seeing the Rhino. Rhino yeah, Girl. it was. I I liked the rhino growing up in this show. I I still think the eyes on the side of his head are a little silly, but you know he's a rhino. He's he's a man beast or something like that. It's a man dressed as a rhino. So with with like it's gonna be silly. Yeah, he still has his toes out. Like it's like, what are you doing? What are we doing? Got a little animation butt cracks drawn. Yeah, like what's like... going on here? There was a lot of animated butts in the, in these in this three part episode. They were very careful to work on the human anatomy, but. Uh, Rhino shows up and he seems to be a force of nature. He's ripping shuttle doors off its hinges. He's stealing Prometheus X. He's knocking Spider-Man uh, for a loop and he's able to escape. We also get a look at Eddie Brock who uh, is able to snap some pictures of Spider-Man escaping from the uh, space shuttle. Space shuttle falls off the George Washington Bridge. Which I like how uh, he loses his job with uh, the Daily Bugle in this one. Right. Where it's, he was just lying about the pictures he took. Like It's not like he's using Photoshop pictures of Right. Out of newspaper covers that you could literally go back and find. 
Right. The idea is that um, Eddie Brock knows that J. Jonah Jameson has an axe to grind with Spider-Man. So if he can find if any, if he can produce evidence that Spider-Man is the person who stole the Promethean Prometheus X uh, element, the thing, the one thing everybody cares about um, that maybe they can finally label Spider-Man as a menace once and for all. When he brings these photos to Jameson, Jameson is ecstatic. He's like, we got him. We got this spider creep. And he puts out a, or somebody puts out a, a million no, it dollar. Was him. It was him, right? Yeah, it was. He, he was the one that went on a press conference. He's like, <laughs> I'll offer a million dollars to whoever brings me Spider-Man. Like, okay, buddy. That's a lot of money, bro. Like, I want to see the, I want to see your your bank account first. Let me see your payrolls. That's a lot of money, bro. But I guess, I mean, this is going to stop us from using fossil fuels or something, right? Like, this is what the Prometheus. Yeah, this, well, no, uh, they said that they had a energy life of like three yeah, days. Half life, yeah. The uh, the ra- had a radioactive half life of like yeah. three days. Yeah, but at the time they thought it could be the next source of renewable energy or something like that. And the fact that quote unquote Spider Man stole it, or everyone seems to believe he stole it, um, even though the Rhino is the one who has it in custody and is bringing it to the Kingpin, uh, caused everyone to think that Spider Man is a criminal and that with a million dollars, hey, screw it, they will, um, they will capture him. This is the same. If you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. But that New York turned quite quickly when $1 million was set on the table. No, they ratted him out real quick. Yo, Spider-Man's under the fire hydrant. He's over there. Hey, hey, yo, hey. He comes in here every day for a 5 o'clock coffee. You can stand right here at 459. You'll catch him. Uh, They were ready to snitch on my boy Peter Parker. So Peter Parker uh, decides that, well... I guess I got to lay low for a little while, which means putting down the good old, the red and blue suit. And I'll just go back to being regular old, poor-ass Peter Parker. They always make a note to say that this guy is broke, and he's broke at all times, Peter Parker. Yeah, for real. Like, just because he doesn't have the suit on, all of a sudden he's back to being broke. Yep. As if the suit generates some sort of income. Now we're struggling. Uh, yeah, come on. You can get paid to do that. I don't know if you know Marvel, but there are heroes for hire. So, work like that. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, yeah, so he goes to sleep, and in probably one of the most iconic scenes in the animated series history, um, we see the Venom symbiote, the alien symbiote, uh, crawl out of the hamper that he places a suit in, and basically crawl towards him. Thank God it wasn't Venom Vision. Yeah, right. Oh, I I forgot we had symbiote vision in Spider-Man 3. Ah, cut that little whimsical. This is how this sees. This is how this sees. I guess it was like a horror film kind of deal. Sam Raimi. He does do good horror. Drag Me to Hell. Evil Dead. Oh, you don't got to tell me. Those Spider-Man films were horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) Those Spider-Man films were horror movies. And they never got the monster in the end. Mary Jane. That's funny. I don't know how that that ends up working. But, uh, yeah, you you have the, the symbiote crawl on top of him while he's sleeping. And he has like this elaborate existential dream. Yeah, it's like dualities, personalities fight facing off. What do you think about that scene? That scene's so iconic that they placed it in the opener. Yeah, I like it because you see like the suit try to grab him, but then the symbiote just pulls him out and just eats him. And then when it swallows him, he wakes up upside down like in the Raimi one, staring at himself in the mirror, wondering how he got there, questioning the suit, and then goes on his little joyride. Yeah. So I liked all that. But the design of this suit... It's so amazing. I will forever, I don't know, it's so simple, but I will forever love the patch on his wrist. Those little white boxes on his wrist will just forever be simple. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny, though? And I agree with you. I think that the suit is beautiful because of its simplicity. Like, it's just a black suit with a white spider. You don't need nothing else. And the way he was just questioning it. Like, I like 
the inner monologue from the third Spider-Man, the way he's like, you know, the suit, where'd it come from? You know, this feels weird. And then he does all these like flips and jumps. I like that. But I like the way Parker was questioning everything about the suit while he was on a joyride of it. I mean, like these webs, like it's, it's so far. Like I've never shot them this far. Like I've never over, I was going to overjump this building. I've never jumped that high. Like, yeah, you know, even his powers themselves are being enhanced. Not just the suit is enhanced. Well, it's good that you pointed that out because one of the things that makes this show so authentic, especially to the comics, is the constant monologuing. Unlike Batman the Animated Series, when they, when Batman wasn't talking out loud, he barely spoke. He did not go, well, I think that, you know, it might be the Joker. Yeah, you so know? you didn't get a chance to see, ever see what he was thinking. You just but, knew he was the smartest man in the room. Meanwhile, everything that is on Peter Parker's mind, we hear. If he's like, Everything. I think, if he's like, I think it's 15 minutes past three, and I, you know, I'm kind of hungry. Maybe I go by that. He literally says, he puts all his emotions it's like, out oh, there man, I should have taken a sandwich with me if I was going into the, on this field trip. And, yeah, you understand? He's constantly... You know, and they, they're always jokes. It's always quips. He's never quiet. Yeah. Spider-Man in this animated series is never quiet. There's never a moment where he's just like, never. Do you, do you uh, rub against the fact that he doesn't have a New York accent? Uh, his accent doesn't really bother me. I just, I like, I like the tone in his voice. I guess the, I like the way his voice sounds, that it's just so iconic that, that, that something like that I wouldn't nitpick on. Like, I can, I, I, in a, in a weird world, I could find myself more nitpicking on the fact that he never threw a punch over the fact that he doesn't have a New York accent. Yeah, because Tom Holland ended up showing up with his New York accent or his British New York accent. And it was kind of like, Pretty. oh, yeah, I guess that's how that should sound, huh? Huh. Um. The dream sequence that, you know, like we said again, the two people battling for the soul of Peter Parker, the the alien symbiote and the spider suit. Uh, but like you said, again, the alien symbiote, at least in the dream wins. And in reality, he wakes up in the middle of the city, hanging upside down, wearing this cool blue outfit. Which with I no don't webbing know what on the it. hell the hell he got there while that whole dream sequence. With no webbing on it. There was no webbing on the black suit. No webbing there at all. There was never webbing on the black suit. There should, it wasn't there should the red never and blue be suit. Yeah. webbing on the black it suit. It wasn't the red and blue suit just drawn just over. black. I think I just had to say that. So, yeah. Um, beautifulness in its simplicity, but very quickly... Does Peter lose control uh, having this thing on? Yeah, and it's Almost really weird because it's like Peter Parker is not known for a man to lose control. So I guess I understand that little one-off Felicia Hardy quote. You're scaring me. But it's like this is the first time I'm ever doing anything that's even remotely out of character. How am I scaring you? Just calm down. See where it goes. Let me see if I'm, if I'm enjoying this or not. No, it's funny. Oh, God. Why do you still have that picture of Tover Grace? <laughs> it's funny that you say that, though, because... um. In Spider-Man 3, they made it a point to put him through some crap so that when he got the suit, now that he felt powerful, he would then act out, right? It's like, oh. So, yeah, I understand why Mary Jane would give him that look or say, you're, or I don't remember if she said it or not, but that whole you're scaring me thing when after he slaps her in the jazz club. I understand that. Wait, 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 wait. Like, remember when he, when he hits her in the jazz club? Yeah, but the Parker, you're scaring me is from the animated series. Yeah, but I could have sworn she gave her, he, she gave him, like, this look, like, uh, or said, like, a, like, yeah, a, the like look a, was, please don't hit me, <laughs> please don't hit me too. What do you, you know, the look is, the guy I just brought here, <laughs> you know, is using me to get people jealous, and he's hitting women. No, I'm talking about right. Mary Jane, when he, when uh. he assaults Mary Jane, I could have sworn Mary Jane either gave him, not only gave him a look, but I could have sworn she would have said, like, I don't even know who you are or something like that. And on this episode of Quotes from Bad Films, now dig on this. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what you want. That's what you want in your Spider-Man film, bro. 
You all for that. Don't Do you have any with nuts in it? I can make nuts. Go and make some nuts. My man, he was like pimping people out for cookies. What's going on here? But anyway, uh, uh, in our Spider-Man show, wait a minute. Was he flirting with Felicia? Yes, he was flirting but, with And Felicia. he was with Mary Jane. He was with Mary Jane. He was flirting with Felicia in front of Flash Thompson. Flash was... Thompson gets in his face, and he's all like, get out of here, pal. There was a lot of shoulder pushing. In these, he calls in these him episodes. like a knucklehead or something. Oh, he calls him a, uh, what was it, a thick, thick scald or something like that? Yeah, or... uh... What are they? There Some is 90s thing. insult. Thick-headed, like thick-headed or something like that. Yeah, insert 90s insult here from Saved by the Numb Bell. Numbskull. Numbskull, I think something it was. Something like that. And he's, and he's like, like, what did you say to me, pal? Well, it had something to do with your brain being harder, <laughs> yeah. your head being harder. And that's when Felicia's like, what are you doing? He's like, I've never felt more alive. <laughs> he's, all, <laughs> he's all bugged out. Um, we get a cool little cameo of the uh, you know, um, homeboy from Aerosmith who, who does the theme song for Joe Perry. From Eric oh, yes, yes, yes. The theme song for the like, no. animated series. Where he's changing costumes. Hey, maybe I should go as the guy from Aerosmith. And then you hear the theme song, the Spider-Man <laughs> solo. Yeah. No, 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 I dig it. Um, I digged Shocker, even uh, though his suit is ridiculous, and he's probably the worst part of this entire show. Well, yeah, so they start to think that maybe that because Eddie Brock was at the scene of the crime, Kingpin believes that he might have pictures that might incriminate Kingpin because Kingpin is the guy who hired Rhino to go get the Pony DMX. So, so anybody that has that information is like, nope, kill him. So follow me here. Kingpin calls Rhino to go get something for him and then calls Shocker to clean up Rhino's mess. So these two basically like Abbott and Costello <laughs> kind of guys. Well, they are the really though, treated done. like Abbott and Costello type. They're treated like henchmen that just have costumes. Yeah. Like even Mysterio has gotten more of a respect in that show. Chameleon had respect in that show. But I also wonder what is Kingpin's pool of of allies where he goes, eh, I guess I'll do Shocker. Like, you know, if he owns the police, I would imagine that he has say in who goes into, to who's in jail. Like he probably has those criminal archives. Like how Mr. Sinister had like Alexia Savage's file. Yeah. So, and then he was ready to put him in the rhino costume. So I would imagine Kingpin would do the same thing. Like, oh, let's see. I got a guy that uh, goes around in a yellow outfit, <laughs> calls himself Shocker. Let's take him. Yeah. And Shocker's walking down the street in one of those... Uh, in Columbo in, robes. In the classic. In the classic, I'm in a comic book and I want to hide. Besides that, the new MCU hat, glasses, and jacket thing. This is the this is the Donatello. I want to hide. I the mean, Columbo. Oh, not, not, it was not the... Raphael, remember when Raphael yeah, yes. was walking the streets? Long trench coat and hat. The thing did the it thing in the first the Fantastic, exactly. second Fantastic Four movie. And he did it in the comics all the time. It was literally just Marvel's way of being like, I want to hide. And you know, what's the, the funniest part is they would always have an, an opening shot of a big and tall store. Right. It would always be the bad guy or the superhero outside of a big and tall store. And you see like their giant silhouette going over one of the letters and then they bust into the big and tall store. Me, I feel like wearing something like that caused more attention to you. Like, I would look at you more if I saw somebody in the street with they an overcoat. They had it in Honey, the... I Blew Up the Baby. Remember uh, Honey, yeah. I, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid? Yeah. I they like... took the kid to the big and tall store. And I also feel like maybe in Little Rascals, the kids stood on they each go, other. They, they go they to the bank. Coat. They had like one No, of those... they were dressed as Amish. Oh, yeah, they were. They, they, had, the bla- they had a black trench a coat movie. and hat, but they also had like this Amish beard. That's such a good movie. We've got to find a loophole and find a comic for that so we can cover Little Rascals on this They don't show. have the little <laughs> graphic novels, the little Calvin and Hobbes on your newspaper type Little yeah, Rascals. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool, right? With, uh, Wishbone? Was his name Wishbone? What's the name of that dog on there? I think it was Wishbone. Wishbone, Wishbone or Spotted. There was definitely a Wishbone dog. I know that. But I we digress. digress. Yeah, we definitely digress. Uh, Peter, in the symbiote outfit, Gets into a run-in with Rhino, who seems to be stealing what you called 
what did you call it? Like uh, uh, nuclear rods. <laughs> yeah, they're like nuclear because when you see the pallet, <laughs> like it has a radioactive sticks. sticker on it. But when he picks it up, they're like rebar. Yeah, they're like pallet. There's like radioactive rebar. You um, thought it was guns. I thought it was just guns on a pallet, just laid out like in order. Willy nilly. And he was just gonna get an armful of them and jump away. But um, he fights Spider Man both on the on the spaceship and in this scene, and does no damage to the guy. Like he literally cannot. Uh, land a punch, and maybe that's for censorship reasons, but Rhino is in over his own head every time he fights Spider-Man. And in this instance, with the anger, the added strength, the added speed, the added uh, veracity, Spider-Man is beating the crap out of Rhino. Oh, he, like, he picks him up, puts him into the ground by his horn, and spins him around? Yeah, he just he's literally grabbing him and throwing him into concrete walls, um, very similar to maybe what uh, what he does with Harry. Um, when he fights him in his own apartment in Spider-Man Three, because well, I feel I could have sworn Harry had a bit of a like a, a, a some sort of advantage? combat advantage because he, he does loses, have he, he loses that a, when the when the pumpkin bomb gets. gets well, you're throwing something at somebody with spider sense. Yeah, he was like that. That wasn't that was not intelligent at all. But right. but no, this Rhino this Rhino fight kind of reminded me a lot of the video games. Like if you ever faced Rhino in any of the Spider-Man video games, it's always duck. Get out of the way. Yeah, it's always get duck out, out of the way. way. He's always running duck. towards you. Let him get close. You get have to bring yourself to like these electricity booths. You have to stand in front of it and then at the last exactly second dodge about. out was the way. Spider-Man too? It's one it, of those Spider-Man uh, it was one of the Spider-Mans that was based off the movies. Yeah, I definitely remember that. that and you're on top of, yeah, you're on top of a roof or something and there's like these electric panels, four of them. And once you get to like the third, the third one, then you have your little cut scene, and then you get to beat him up because now he's like, apparently that like makes him like not powered anymore. And so you honestly tell me that live action wise, you prefer the man, the man rhino suit over the mech rhino suit. Man, that mech rhino suit is just so big and disgusting. It's but just think about the Sinister Six though, like that rhino, a mech out vulture, a mech out. Scorpion. Well, I mean, if I they're all like... going to be mech, then yeah, I would definitely support a mech out vulture wings. I would support, right, right, like, you know, like I would support. Air Force kind of deal. Like, yeah. Right. Like, like, like uh, how vulture's wings were in, in Homecoming. Yeah. How it had, like, little, uh, what's it called, turbines on it where yeah. you see the the, like a, the jets. Yeah, what do they call that thing? The helicarrier turbines. Like yes, those right, little right. helicarrier turbines. Like, and he's jumping down and it's, like, giving him his, like, leverage to, like, push back up. That stuff is cool. Right. It was just, all I'm seeing is. That it was just so big and sloppy. At least make it not so big and. Sl- Paul Giamatti in that. And skin oh no, tight I could no, I could no, with not the at all. Eyes on the side of the head. I can't see that rhino making it in today. Right. I mean, if you're gonna do it, maybe throw it in MCU, not MCU. Throw it in um X Men right. as a mutation. Yeah. You know, but make it that his skin is just gray and scaly instead of it looking like a suit. Make it look like it's part of his body, like beast. Yeah. You know, it's like his his he's gray and scaly. His bones are like protruding so make, out to like be like a, a skin, like a skin thing. Yeah, like not killer croc like, a little bit. Yeah, like a mix, like a killer croc thing. But I also want for a horn, like his forehead, to be just have this one bone like protruding right I've out. I've seen like those people who do like that weird like they do those body morphications yeah, yeah, where they like yeah, they make yeah, their yeah. bones. Like, uh, nah. Yeah, we gotta get on a better subject. Like. Uh, he the fact kicked his yes he butt did and he was about to kill him he was gonna throw this big ass door on him he was just gonna him. throw a door on him and uh, no he's able to flash back to all the times that people were saying you're kind of being a dick you know <laughs> in so one day like, in the span of a four hours in the same day and everyone's just, been what was it? he had t- no he only had two 
It was the one with Felicia, and it was the one with Aunt May. Yeah, he snapped that, that Aunt May. And he you don't know what you're talking about. He snapped that Felicia. Yes, because, you know, teenage on. angst is means symbiotes is taking over. It's got to be aliens, bro. Or coffee. Maybe you need to uh, switch to decaf. But um, he was driven insane fighting the rhino, and then he seemingly has a change of heart. He seemed more insane fighting the people in New York than he did fighting the rhino. Oh, my God. We're going to get to it, but he seemed insane fighting Shocker at the end of that. At the end of that. Yeah, that, that was... Thing. But um, talking to himself, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Insert of, 90s threat here. Out of control. Eddie Brock um, is, it turns out that he is a liar. Spider-Man did not. Dun, dun, dun. Say, did not steal the Prometheum X. And he goes to the Daily Brew to let him know. At several points, he is lifting J. Jonah Jameson or Eddie Brock. That's a real big thing in this. Everyone's just grabbing each other by the scruff and saying, hey, you... Oh, I mean, listen, if you're like a 6'4", 265-pound man and some guy like your height but looks a little smaller than you comes and lifts and you. yokes you up, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be pretty intimidating. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if Peter Parker, just without the Spider-Man suit, just Peter Parker lifting Eddie Brock as big as he is up in the Daily Bugle? Like, it makes sense he pushed, like, uh, Tobey Maguire pushed him up against the wall. They're the same, they're the same size. But if, you know, someone bigger than me is going to pick me up by my own neck and yoke me, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to back off a little bit. They might know a little bit more than I do. Yeah, uh, comic book Eddie Brock always a blonde, always a blonde, always a blonde. I don't know where they got this Eddie Brock from. That wears a turtleneck and red hair and, and has like red hair. Everyone has this. Even this, looks like Topher Grace is blonde, right? Which makes sense. Uh, they they would really dig in that flat top look. Everyone in this show has this weird like flat top. That was the uh, G.I. Yeah, Joe kinda, 90s style. Yeah, that was that arm. You were an army soldier. You were a man if you had the crew cut. <laughs> After after showing that uh, Eddie Brock is a uh, fraud, Eddie gets evicted from his house. A bunch of stuff happens, and he grows uh, in intense hatred. I want to know how. I want to know how getting fired from your job it it allows you to get evicted the same day. I mean, don't you get? uh, Doesn't you have to miss rent for at least like three months to get evicted, or you know, break rules? If was he smoking pot in his apartment? Do you have dogs? Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you kind of didn't tell us what he was doing prior to this. And then we would have probably understood why he got evicted because but he's just don't blaming, know better. He's just blaming Peter Parker for everything. It like just Spider-Man like, for everything. Yeah, it just seems like a bunch of bad luck. Uh, rolled he's like, into first work. Spider-Man gets my job and then he gets and my girl and he gets he my apartment. His, he didn't lose his apartment in the movie, Spider-Man 3. I don't even, did he never even went to that he had an apartment? And he lost his job in the sense that he lost the job he was going for. Like he was still no, he got fired to... from because remember he was an ex Daily Bugle member. He was already pre-fired from before the alien costume because that's okay. why he was he was he told Jalen Jameson, "I'll give you these pictures of Spider-Man stealing the Prometheus yeah. if you give me my old job back." But film Brock was never part of the Daily Bugle. He just wanted a job. Period. And I don't yeah, think, I don't think he lost his apartment in that. I think he just lost the prospective job that they were going to offer between yeah, he him bl- and uh, he blamed, Peter. Yeah, he blamed Peter for stealing, his, for ruining his job, and he blamed uh, for stealing his girl. In this show, he doesn't have a hatred for Peter Parker, does he? For Peter? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. No. I, I don't think until, until... It wasn't until he got the Venom suit. Until it's revealed that Eddie Brock knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, I don't think we have a scene of them two together. Other than that, he was just blaming Spider-Man for everything. And it just turns, turns out that Spider-Man is somebody he knows. Which then draws all that out because um, after because he was tailing Spider-Man, he was never tailing Parker. After getting uh, nervous about the whole suit thing, he decides to go meet his other freak friend, Kirk Connors, Doctor Kirk Connors, the guy who's constantly trying to stop himself from becoming a murderous lizard at all times. He's like, "Let me go to that guy. Let me see what he knows." 
the worst scientist ever. Takes a scissor and just cuts part of the symbiote off. And he picks up it. the symbiote with his bare hands and puts like you are the you are the lizard. You're telling me that the symbiote wasn't going to attract. Did you a symbiote lizard? I'm pretty sure that that exists somewhere out there. That'd be a, that, I would start that comic book. Uh, he yeah he just puts it under a microscope and he's like yeah it turns out that the uh what is it like what are you saying like the nucleus have divided oh yeah the like nu that. the nuclei are dividing oh that was my first instinct yeah I looked at you and I'm like oh yeah you know what that means obviously when the nuclei you know, divide nuclei that's, always dividing that's, that's out of control and that's I think Peter says I'm like oh no, he's man, like, I was afraid yeah he's like that's what I was afraid it was he's like <laughs> okay like, what? Parker what? you're just afraid of nuclei dividing what does this mean at several points they just take the symbiote and like whoop let's put it on this microscope yep it's telling me exactly what I need to know this alien thing. And then they, then they put what the microscope was like connected to like a computer. I'm guessing because they go and a, and a projector. They, they oh, it was like a project. That's what it was like connected to a projector. That old thing. Yeah, PowerPoint presentations or something <laughs> like going on. Um, and then he's like, "Yeah, uh, this thing seems incredibly crazy. It seems like it takes it. It first takes control of the host, then it takes over the host entirely." And if that's the case, you might want to get rid of this thing. This thing is dangerous. So he's like, no, he's I like, need it. He's like, bye, Doc. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up. It's like when you go to WebMD and it's like, yeah, you're dying. You're like, eh, nah, I think I got a couple weeks. That's what he was doing. He was like, I went to you to find out what this was. You told me what it was. And then still, I don't want to believe you. <laughs> I'm going to walk out yeah, of here. He's like, no, I need it. I need it still. Later on, he's like, did you? Did, did, were you thinking on your own? Doc Connors told you the things on its own. He told you... Uh, when you bar when you barge into that man's house, like you barge into the Daily Bugle, like you barge into he's barging into everybody's he opens house windows this. in this entire show everywhere. I'm just remembering now almost every single scene of him entering a building. He's always going through the window. I uh, remember how he found Eddie Brock's footage. He goes into Eddie Brock's house without Eddie Brock knowing. Oh, he's gonna play hide and seek. Oh my! He's looking God. through all his stuff <laughs> and finds the, the the extra secret valuable film in the head of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incredibly problematic when you consider that a shower has I water how, I in it. How many days <laughs> he has not been showering? What if he for? accidentally turned the knob? It's like, oh no, I forgot that my negatives are in the shower. Like, how did he do it? And who is he hiding them from? I have no idea. Who's Eddie Rock hiding them from? <laughs> I have no what idea. is going on here, Eddie? Uh, He's just paranoid. Eddie gets into a running with the shocker where that Spider-Man's able to help, but then they get into, it gets really convoluted. With a because, load of puns. Yeah, there's a bunch of that You're stuff You're in for on. a shock. Shocker literally shoots everything but Spider-Man. Walls and buildings and, and, and vehicles and, and, and pillars and windows. Everything in the His world. His own self. His own self never gets to hit the Spider-Man. Maybe that just goes to show you how strong this symbiote suit is. Symbiote. Um... The symbiote. The symbiote. But eventually we get the iconic scene as shown in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 where uh, originally it seems as if Spider-Man and um, – did you know they were fighting in a church, Spider-Man and Shocker? I didn't know they were fighting in a church. I, uh, I just – I remember a bell tower. They throw him through windows. They, they're having a fight. And it's only when Shocker tries to escape – that Peter, in his blood, lust, and revenge, starts screaming, Shocker! Oh, my God. Shocker! Was, oh, my God. I'm going to yeah. get you, Shocker! I will, find, I will find you to the ends of the earth! And when I do, I will rip you limb from limb! Oh, my God. Out of control. That's, Out when, of he, control. that's when you see the bell. But until then, I didn't even know they were at a church or anything that would have a bell tower in it. 
Yeah, uh, it, it looked. It was just weird. It didn't really look like a church. No, like I you didn't. didn't see pews. You didn't see a door. It, I don't even know how where they went to nope. meet and, up. I just knew that him and Joe Jana, Joe John Jameson, whatever. John right? <laughs> John John Jonah J J Jameson. Him and J J Jameson was going to get his son back. Right. J.J. Jr. Jameson. Yep, and then they're like, well, I can't wait till you're cured so you can go right back. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's another reason why he got outed. It was because J. Jonah was all like, oh, yeah, Rhino took it. Remember he was in death bed? Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he like, kept being in the hospital saying the same thing. Oh, Rhino. Rhino guy stole the Promethium X. And J. Jonah's like, damn it. I, I, I really had fun blaming him. I just love how guy. this how this uh, J.J. always is like confused about everything. Spider-Man, what's he got to do with this? A lot more calm in this than... He is a lot more calm, but he's also a lot more confused. It's like he's always, like, asking questions like your parents would ask if they walk into the middle of you watching this show as a kid. Who's that guy in the gray suit? What is a rhino doing? (laughs) What does Spider-Man have to do with that? That that doesn't make any sense. Every time they tell him something that's going on, he's like, ah, that don't make any sense. It's like, people are coming to you with the exclusive, Jonah. What are you doing I just don't... I don't understand how... The very first season, you see that Spider-Man is helping save your son, and for the rest of the four seasons, you're still gonna try and out him as some bad guy. Yeah. Um. There's a scene in which Kingpin arranges for uh J. Jonah's son to be kidnapped so that they could try to get the Prometheum X from Spider-Man, and uh, that doesn't work <laughs> in anyone's favor. Spider-Man's able to get the rock and, and escape, and that's when they find out about the half life of it. And all this other kind of stuff. Basically, the Rock is useless. The only thing, and I'm not. Well, talking the Rock about you, is Dwayne. always useless. I'm not talking about you, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. I like Jumanji. So um, they were calling Skyscraper One Legged Die Hard. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I had to take a second for that. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, oh man. Yeah, they're calling Skyscraper One Legged Die Hard. But um, you see. Uh, Kingpin literally like has a number for everybody. He has he has uh, connections and machinations, and he's able to um, call all sorts of weird rogues. There's some like he has like those weird street punks that try to yeah. Come he has a, remember you know those like office like uh, index spindles that are on people's oh, uh, desks, those wheels. He just has like a little index of huh, directory. He has just a little directory of who he's gonna call today. But there's another name for that, and it's killing me right now. I know I can never remember the name of it. It's like a little spindle with. With index cards on it, fans, if you know what oh, it is. No, 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 we gotta find this. We gotta find this. But yes, uh, I dug that Kingpin, um, you know, is not only hiring the, uh, it's called the Rolodex. Rolodex. <laughs> That's what it is <laughs> it's called. Not okay. only, it's not only hiring, like, flashy villains that have, like, horns and stuff, but he's also hiring street punks. And people still, you know, he, he has his hands tied as much. No, because he's he is legit a mob boss, but this isn't some, like, comic book mob boss like, um, what's his name? Falcone? Uh, Falcone or uh, the the Black Mask guy. I'm trying to remember. Adonis? Uh, eight, Black eight, Mask. Sidonis. Sidonis. Sionis. Sionis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ra- Raymond. Raymond. Ra- Roman. Roman. Roman Sionis. Yeah. There gonna, I, people are yelling the real name. Sorry, we can't hear but you. That's what it is. But and no, like it's not like how like Falcone and Roman Sionis are, where they're just mob boss. Be- that that's what their personality is as a bad guy is. They're mob boss. No, you can see Kingpin is a legit 1920s 
Al Capone gangster mob boss. He hand has cops in, in his pockets. Yeah. He has this in his pocket, that in his pocket. He has his hand in everything. He's quick to uh, make examples out of people, and he's quick to cover his own like, tracks. I remember in one of the later seasons, I think probably season two or three, where he where he's throwing policeman balls in in the Chrysler building. Oh, wow, that's crazy. And like Hob, this is when they introduced Hobgoblin, where Hobgoblin's main Hobgoblin's main bad guy in this show was always Kingpin. Right. That's what I remember. Yeah, Hob he was, Hob Hob was always out to get revenge on Kingpin. Yeah. Even if Spider-Man got in his way, he was always trying to go after Kingpin. So I remember an episode where they first introduced like Hobgoblin fully was a Kingpin was in the Chrysler building throwing out like a policeman's ball or something, some kind of ball or party. Which, which also Benefit. means that while he's throwing this party, he's hiding all the weird machines that he hanged that are that, yeah, because like, you know, adorn the press Chrysler a button and it's and the entire around. tarantula, robotic tarantula is hiding behind door number three. You got to be pretty little bit protective about that. Uh, Smythe is like, you know, asking, why can I just come to try the hors d'oeuvres? Because I know you're by face. Peter Park um, in the Spider-Man starts to attack Shocker on top of a roof. He d- damages the Shocker gauntlet to one hit of a, like a... He breaks uh, off the, the piece of a balcony. Yeah. So I guess concrete. Concrete break. smashes the, the, the things um, and then like dangles him over the edge and uh, chooses not to kill him, but then the symbiote itself pushes <laughs> uh, pushes Shocker off. And then he just shoots a web and to we, save him because he's strong enough, I guess, to fight the symbiote. Very similar to um, what we see in the Venom trailer, there's a scene in which the cops are trying to attack the, uh, Spider-Man in the Venom symbiote, and the suit itself latches out and grabs onto a wall and is able to pull him away from safety. And yeah, I do like that when like the the when the, the million dollar bounty is out in like episode two and they yeah. have those like bootleg G.I. Joe looking Random street thugs yeah. that Red apparently chips. have like, you know, alien technology shooting guns. Like they got like sonic waves and firefight uh flamethrowers and all that. So I like that he was like shooting like uh his webs out of like his back to pull him out of the way. And then he'll drop, like, another symbiote. A piece of a symbiote would drop and, like, blow up the sound wave thing. So, those those were... Th- the design, in general, of the black suit, I kind of dug. And I kind of wish that Sam Raimi did more of that. Yeah. Like, I wish, like, he would, like, uh, change suits without having to change suits. The way the symbiote just mimics clothes. I wonder if Eddie Brock does any of that in, in the Venom movie that comes I up. think they do. Because if I remember from the trailer that I did see, which is probably, I can't lie, I think that is my last trailer I've ever seen fully, was Venom's trailer. But I remember he was in his apartment, and all the guys were like crowding around him, and he's like, listen guys, I feel a little sick, and he and then it throws just his arm, and it yeah. attacks, and it like comes out of his hand. It is the protector of its host, and we saw that in this show. They, showed, they found a really good way to show that when Spider-Man was in danger, and seemingly um, helpless, that the symbiote was able to act and able to get him. To oh yeah, him. even with the the sound wave gun like shooting at him, he was able to get out of there. He was a little bit of the drop of the symbiote lands on the sound wave gun, and blows, blows up it the out. gun. <laughs> like that stuff is cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is pretty cool. But um, after realizing that they, that something is just straight up wrong, and remembering about the sound wave uh, effects on the symbiote, Spider Man allows the church bell to be rung in a very iconic Spider Man moment, straight from the comics and as depicted in the Sam Raimi film. The uh, the sound of the big gongs and bongs of this bell are uh, able to rip symbiote from host and the symbiote lands on Eddie Brock. In the film, Eddie Brock was just there 
you know, um, asking God, innocently to kill. asking God to kill, to murder in his name, to kill Peter Parker. In this film, Spider-Man, to get Eddie Brock out of the way, has uh, webbed him up underneath the bell. So as the symbiote falls through the cracks, it lands on Eddie Brock creating Venom. Um that's how episode two ends with the creation of Venom. Uh, uh no, it ends with him. Wa- with yeah, besides the creation of Venom, it ends with him walking down the street yeah. and like grabbing a newspaper, flying down because you know how bad guys just grab newspapers. I mean, he, I thought he was gonna say like, "Wait till you get a load of me," like from <laughs> from Batman eighty nine. Oh man, that but, that would have been cool though. Yeah, but he basically says, "Wait till like, you get a load of us." But he basically is like, "Okay, you know, this is where it's about to start," and so we get the final act in this uh three act uh story here. The Alien Costume Part 3 starts off with Spider-Man, yep, everything's fine. Willy-nilly, like right back to normal. Everything's fine. No more Doing alien Doing John Travolta suit. moves in the middle of the street. Yeah, no more alien moves. No more alien suit. Everything's Gucci until... Apparently Flash doesn't want to kick his ass anymore. Yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. The alien suit's good. Everything's good. Uh, even though he hung Eddie Brock from a church bell and never went back to go find out where that guy was. Yo, yeah, he didn't even help him. No, not one bit. So... Uh, he then, um, I want to say, oh, he gets into some beef with Rhino. Um, and when and he, then Shaka, and then Shaka, which I want to say, he is pretty much he's a pretty bad Spider Man for not bringing those two to jail. Again, because like, had he done it in the original sense when he first fought them, then he wouldn't have to fight them in this instance. At least Shocker. Okay, I understand that you why you left Rhino there upside down. Maybe okay, maybe the cops would get him one and two. You did just have some sort of like you know existential crisis of I I'm losing my control over my own brain. Right. So I understand you wanted to get out of there. You didn't want to kill Rhino, but you got the Venom suit off you. You could and you jumped down. You couldn't grab Shocker and just like bring him to jail. Right. And Shocker do- doesn't seem to be that big of a threat as far as fighting is concerned. All he has is his gauntlets. A- so yeah. and those are broken. And that's also probably why, for a very, very long time, I, I just always assumed the villains got away with these things. Because in this show, they're, they're literally never arrested. Well, I mean, now that we, we're older and we understand them more, I can see it as the, they, they don't get away. The cops probably do come to arrest them. It's just Kingpin owns the cops. Well, they all got laser laser guns, too. So, <laughs> they can't, you know, how, how, how long can you hold somebody pew, back? Pew, back pew, with, pew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, stormtroopers out there. Uh, you... So those two try to team up on Spider-Man. Eddie Brock shows up as Venom. Uh, Venom shows up, bugs Spider-Man the hell out. And after that, we get these horrific visions that Peter Parker starts to have where he feels like he's seeing Venom everywhere. And quite frankly, he kind of is. When he goes to go on a date with Mary Jane, Eddie Brock is there. When he goes home to talk to Aunt May, Eddie Brock is there. When he goes to uh, look at the skyline for New York City and change into Spider-Man because he's about to go do something, Eddie Brock is there. He was reading a book and he sees Venom... Inside the, in the book, book. Yeah. he sees Venom. I find the... that as I find that as like you know your cerebellum is is now infused with symbiote. Even trace, if trace trace uh, trace amounts. Of yeah, the even symbiote. if the symbiote isn't on you, where it could like form again to make a new suit, there's still that emotion is still in your head. Definitely. You know, so he still has that. Like you know, you miss that power, and you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes, it does, and um. While Peter wasn't driven by anything in particular when he had the alien suit, Brock wants revenge. Brock wants revenge on Spider-Man, and the symbiote wants revenge on Spider-Man because the symbiote feels rejected by Spider-Man. And how no dare, one rejects how the dare, Venom. Yeah, how, how dare you put baby in a corner, said the symbiote. <laughs> and so... Um, we are a cosmic being that has been around right. for millions of eons, and we know the truth. 
than our tremendous cosmic power, itty bitty living space. So you, <laughs> I so like that you, one. Um, <laughs> you, you have been just crazy bloodlust over Spider Man. He's beating the hell out of him every time Spider Man goes to web him. He says like, "This is your webbing is trash." Like, look at this. Yeah, like, basically. And he's like, "This is like." So like, you want strange. webbing? Here's some webbing. Shoots him up, and now Spider Man is like, you know, contained. He's all trapped. There's one jaw dropping moment. I literally gasped. Which is uh, Venom uh, is able to put webbing on every uh, limb that Spider-Man has, and then just holds him over a building, and then just takes off his mask. He's like, "Is this your hero?" And I'm like, "Is this your king?" And I'm like, "Peter Parker is unmasked atop of a building, and he has him like a marionette puppet. And he has him there for like ten minutes." And uh, so J. Jonah Jameson just steals a cameraman's camera and tries to focus, and he can't get the focus aperture to work. I don't understand that. And had he got it to work, he would have found that it was Peter Parker right then and there. But he couldn't get it to work, so he could not find out who it I was. Mean, this is the same man that was able to focus in on Sandman's face in Spider-Man 3. You can't focus up, like, two stories. But also the man who can't uh, tell what a Photoshop picture is. So there's a lot. Yo, my God. Lot, there's a lot of inconsistencies. I don't know how he ever became like the CEO of a newspaper company. He's like, what's a Windows? <laughs> how do I get one on my computer? Uh, yeah. J. J. Jonah, hey, maybe he's just a little bit old school, you know? I don't know. If he was around today, he would he would definitely be slammed in today's politicians called fake news. I'm pretty sure he was working on the tracking when he was <laughs> he was uh, doing the the... The filming there, trying to find out. He was an intern at Woodbro and Bernstein. <laughs> there you go. Or uh, RKO, right? RKO Studios. So you have um, Peter gets away. He's unable to break the webbing with his own strength. He's able to break the webbing with like a piece of stick. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Balsa, man. Balsa is strong. Hey, man. Yeah, it's one of those things. And then he rips a flag and creates some sort of handkerchief mask for himself. Uh, even though, come on, Peter, they could tell that hair from anywhere. And then he uh, he escapes, but he again cannot seem to shake off Venom. Venom appears at his house. Venom appears when he goes to go hang out with his girlfriend, and they ultimately get into a uh, fight near the space shuttle because the first gonna, New York. They're doing yes. it again. They're doing it again. They even though the last space shuttle thing went horrendously wrong and killed millions of people on the George Washington Bridge and might have created a paraplegic in John Jonah Jameson. We're going to not only do a launch from JFK now, but we're going to name the launch after John Jonah. Oh, yeah. It's called it's the Jameson Shuttle. Probe, probe or something like that. John Jameson Probe or something like that. So I don't think it was manned. I think they're just going to shoot something up into space. And uh, so Venom and Spider-Man are fighting near this Cape Canaveral that is in Which I don't understand how if you know that your that your weakness is sound waves and sonic sound, how are you... Dumb enough to let this man trick you into fighting on an airport. Forget the fact that it was a space shuttle. An airport alone would have done just enough damage with sound to stop you. Have you ever been near an airport? You hear that that rip in the waves? Imagine an actual rocket, like an actual actual space shuttle that needs a uh, propelling force. Oh, and they were right under the, it. They should yeah, be dead. To get a propelling force to get out of the atmosphere. The thing that keeps everything here. <laughs> to fight against gravity. You know what I'm saying? Like, you uh, gotta uh, load the spaceships with rocket fuel. That's all you gotta do. And I guess Venom is full of rocket fuel because they fight right near this jet. Nothing happens. Uh, but when it starts to take off, the sound does affect Venom. And Spider-Man's able to create this sort of And he of even web. says, oh, you tricked me. You tricked What? He, what, what that he, wasn't even enough to trick him. Like He did no tricking whatsoever. You fell for it. And it was also stated that the symbiote might have been keeping 
the fact that sound was its weakness a secret from Parker, which, which makes make sense, sense because yeah. he doesn't want to be taken away. In that that's same when, instance, that's when he was, that's when he was starting to realize that. Wait, are you sentient? Oh, wait a minute. That's what Connors told me. But that he's sentient. But in the same sense, shouldn't it have then given Eddie a clue? Like, yo, he might use sound against us. Last time I was on him, he found out it was sound. He's probably coming at us with some sound. I don't want to lose. You don't want to lose. Let's get away from this damn shuttle. I don't think this symbiote is is very yeah. smart. No, no, no. For a, definitely a millennial symbiote. It was born in the early nineties. For a for a for a two million hundred for a two hundred million year old rock, it's pretty dumb. I mean, oh, there's a rock. Yeah, there's that there's that moment where Venom is like, we have amassed the intelligence. Yeah, of that's what I was making of fun of earlier. Where, where you see a little like a wormhole in space and it's, it's spinning like, that that great '90s graphics. It was freaking Windows '95 screensaver levels. It's like, of, yeah, we of, Adobe Premiere just came out two months ago. We got to get everything on it. And at one point, remember when Spider Man's doing the whole like DNA analysis? It's, he's also seeing some like weird graphics, some weird early PlayStation graphics or something going yeah, on there. Yeah, and it's always typing a million things on a keyboard just to get one word. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get it. But, um, yeah, Spider-Man is able to web up the Venom symbiote to the rocket that apparently then goes up into space. Which is going to come back down because that's what all shuttles do. Or it will do what it did last time, which is break into the ship, kill everybody on board, or destroy the machinery, and then cause that thing to come crashing I also, down to it's, the Earth. I, I would imagine that it's like, you know, its texture is slimy, so it's it, listen, if it's uh, what what what's the, the if the electrodes can can divide, I think it can make its way to slip through Spider-Man's web right. and get out of there. And even if it falls from like a thousand feet up, it's not gonna die. Yeah, true. It's slime. It's gonna you know disintegrate and come back. Yep, dissipate and then just reform when it feels like it needs to. But um, we get basically what I call uh open and shut case, <laughs> which is. A trope that I've been talking about for a while. Actually, since I saw, I want to say Batman Returns when I was older. So basically, there's a scene where the Red Triangle Circus gang is in Gotham. And Batman basically murders like half of them. And then the rest of them leave. And Commissioner Gordon is like, open and shut case, Batman. Like, we're not going <laughs> oh, yes. to arrest, yes. arrest people. We're not going to find out why they did this. We're not going to look for motives. We're not going to collect evidence. We're not going to put open a police and tape. Shut case. Nothing. It's just open and shut. And so in this instance, same thing. Like, oh. Open and shut case. We don't got to worry about that runaway train. We don't got to worry about... At one point, Venom carjacks uh, like a like a uh, semi-truck and chases after Peter Parker on oh, the train. Oh, yeah, right on like the BQE. They're just driving two semis. And like, what is going on here? It's out of control. Uh, open and shut case. Open and shut case. Uh, they throw Eddie Brock inside the, inside the space shuttle where he's arrested, I'm guessing, for trespassing, which is... You know, man, that guy's got a That means a he's going to get out in, like, three days. He's going to do a weekend in jail. And we get nothing else about Eddie, nothing else about Kingpin, nothing else about Shocker, nothing else about Rhino. And the show ends with Peter and Mary Jane looking at the moon. And uh, Mary Jane, like, you know. They I say think- <laughs> falling in love is wonderful. That's garbage. Is wonderful. It's not about you. I'm thinking about me. Shut up, Mary Jane. So she's there. With her turtleneck and sweater combination. Everyone's digging the turtlenecks in this show. It was uh, the 90s, man. Turtlenecks was the was shit. In the in the, yeah, in the 90s, turtlenecks was the thing. Uh, remember I don't remember know that, that. that episode of SpongeBob where he was singing about the striped sweater? Uh, yeah, one true. with a collar, turtleneck. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. They that were all sense. in the turtlenecks. All the rage. Huge. Turtlenecks and overalls. Turtlenecks and chains. That's why this show is, I will always say this show is a huge product of its time. 
Yeah. Because just by the the clothes they wear alone, Peter Parker always wearing these multicolored polo uh, dress shirts with jeans. Also, not a lot of nearsighted people on the show. Barely anyone has glasses. Yeah, man. Like, I noticed that. Shouldn't Parker... Well, no, Parker doesn't need to have nah, glasses. He's good apparently, now. you know, spider powers mean that it helps your optics. Although he optics. should probably wear glasses for, like, the whole Clark Kent thing of this all, right? Like, well, I was nearsighted they, that, for, that, for 18 years did, of my life. Yeah, and that's now, why they did that little brush off in the first Raimi film where Mary Jane looks at him. She's like, oh, you're wearing contacts. I like your eyes. I've never seen him before. Okay, that makes sense. You of course, know, someone, you've never seen him before. Because any, <laughs> you was, you've been headbutting the lap of Flash Thompson. Oh, <laughs> <for the last laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. It's just oh, a lot. Man. It's a lot. It's a lot, Mary Jane. It's a lot. Well, anyway, she says, when when looking at the moon and looking at the starry night, it, it it's hard to believe that we are alone in the universe. And then Peter says something like, "Yeah, yeah," and then it shows Venom. Slobbering in the, in the moon. and yelling in the moon, and that's how the episode ends. We don't know where the symbiote went. We don't know what happened with Eddie Brock. Those characters do return uh, later on down the line. But what did you think of this arc? What did you think? Uh, what 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 stands out to you uh, when it comes to this? Uh, the designs, the animation, the ha- the mix of hand drawn animations and computer graphics. Like you see, a lot of the background is computer generated buildings. But you see Peter Parker swinging through as if he's like being drawn. I do like the design of Venom also. That half of him is like outlined in blue, and the other half of him is outlined in red. Yeah. So it shows like the duality. The, yeah, it shows the duality of Spider-Man. Like on it, show, it basically shows like spider the personality of who Spider-Man is, not Peter Parker, but Spider-Man. It shows that it's always going to be surrounding Venom. Yeah. Because eventually Venom does turn good. He, Not in the show, but in the comics, he eventually turns. Even in the show, he does turn good. He, him, and Spider-Man have this mutual understanding of listen. Enemy of my enemy is my friend, so we have to uh, form together to stop Carnage. But as far as the comic books go, he d- does become a good guy in the comics. So that duality of Spider-Man's personality does always shadow over right. do the right thing, you know. And in, in the same sense, I feel like the way that they recorded his voice, there seems to be two voices there. The voice of Eddie Brock and the voice of the symbiote, both speaking, unlike where it would... Well, that's what I love about the trailer. Yeah. That was the one... That was my biggest takeaway of the trailer was when he was looking at himself in the mirror saying, okay, listen, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it, but you're not going to hurt anybody. And then it, like, brings him to the wall, like the symbiote shoots him to the wall and he's like, listen, we're going to do what the hell we want to do because we are Venom. And I'm like, all right, this is actually might be pretty good. Yeah. Like, it's hard to fault a lot of what that movie is doing from the by the trailer. Like, by the trailer's look. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping whether or not they get into, like, the real deep mythos of, like, the Clintar, you know, the, the actual race of the symbiotes and where they came from and all that stuff. We don't really need it. They didn't go into it too much in depth here. Just the idea that these alien, this alien species has existed for quite some time and probably knows more than um, other species in here, including humans who don't really ever seem to. I don't know really anything. need everything it, like explained and backstories and origins of everything. Like, like, like I don't need to know the origin story of this beer can right here and how the aluminum came from this long li- line of aluminum family. I don't like, know. You talking about that is a very brainium beer can I have. Vibranium beer it's a can. Vibranium beer can. Yeah, you, we don't need it all, especially not right especially now. Especially symbiote. I don't think symbiote is something that I'm going to that I ever really needed an origin story on. I didn't need to know it came from some what like Chintari yeah, yeah, species yeah. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. like the third quadrant galaxy. I don't need to know that. Right. It's an alien life form from space that that comes down and attracts rage and aggression. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
simple, nice. I can see them nice. glossing over all that. And they kind of, like I said, they glossed over in the series, and the series seemed to work well. I really did like, like I said, I like the voice acting of Peter literally going crazy out of his mind. He did seem like oh, he, yeah, it didn't even unhinged. sound like the same voice actor. Like, and he was like really like mean with everything he was saying. Like, no, I need to do this and that, and aggressively sounding speaking. <laughs> Shocker! <laughs> Rip your limbs off, kid. That's I mean, he was he was serious about that. He was really serious I, about killing. I'm tired of being the neighborhood Spider Man. He was yeah, he was upset. Um. I dug this look back in nostalgia. The show still has so much promise, even though it is cut to ribbons. Like every thirty seconds, I mean, yeah, every thirty seconds is the next scene when in a completely different place with completely but different you know characters. What? It doesn't feel confusing. It doesn't because it's all. It A-plot. doesn't feel confusing because it's all April. It's all everything is in service to the same story. It's not like we're just gonna go to the side it's over just here. You're and- seeing the beginning or the middle of everybody's story. Right. So you're seeing Kingpin hire the Rhino, and then you're seeing Peter Parker find the symbiote, then you're seeing J. Joma Jameson being worried about his son, then you're Shocker seeing... dealing with Eddie and stuff Yeah, like that. so you're, yeah. Se- you're, you're seeing all of that, but it still continues. And it's like everybody gets a chance to shine in these 30-second clips. And just like the uh, censorship says, there was not a single punch thrown in this episode, in any, any of these episodes. I think the only... Punches. The we only two punches kick. you ever saw was, was against Green Goblin, if I remember reading it. We saw a swing kick. A lot of people throwing people into things. A, a lot, lot of people throwing thrown into things. things. Uh, and then there's just a lot that seems to be going on in general when it comes to uh, the action scenes there that, that they were able to distract from the punches. But I liked, I liked the nostalgic look. I really liked going back and um, reviewing these episodes. And hopefully when um, some more Spider-Man content comes down the line, we got into the Spider-Verse uh, in December. And then Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. If more details come out, maybe we could find some more of these episodes to chop up. Oh, I would I'm, definitely I'm would it. love to go over a Sins of Our Father yeah, angle. The Smythe, the Smythe uh, yeah. episodes. Yeah, There's a, there was a lot of episodes from like the like season five, like where like the world is seemingly like destroyed. Now we got to go over their botched Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane fiasco because Gwen falls off the, uh, I think the George Washington Bridge, and then. Dies. Everything happens on the George Washington Bridge in the show. That's the one thing I remember. But instead, everything happens on that bridge. Instead, on this show, because they can't kill people and because of their refusal to use Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane falls off the George Washington Bridge into a portal that puts her in another dimension. And then the same voice acting anger that you got with Shocker, you get with Madam Webb. Madam Webb. I remember that where he's he on top. Up, yeah. He shows up. Madam was like, what? What? What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? Like, the things that are going on in the world are are way bigger than you. He's like, you shut up. (laughs) You bring back Mary J. Yeah, he was very And then he, like, gets sent to, like, the future where, like, Carnage and the Green Goblin and the Hobgoblin are, like, working together. All the villains are, like, dead. She also does, like, the, the, what you would call, like, the first Spider-Verse or the Clone Sock when she brings all those other spider people together. Yeah, and you see Ben Ben O'Reilly and you see Miguel O'Hara. She does, she does all that. And 20 years before his comic book debut, you see, and there's no verbs, no uh, words, no dialogue. It's just a quick drawn Spider-Man with four Dr. Octopus tentacles. So a superior Spider-Man making an appearance 20 years before he was ever even given a story. So I like that. Like, I like that they knew what they were going to do before they ever did it. Yeah, definitely. Um, And you can see a lot of, like, like from what I remember, from watching walkthroughs and gameplays on YouTube from... Shattered Dimensions when it came out, even though I never got a chance to like play it, it seems like a lot of the sins of our father and storylines followed 
how Shattered Dimensions was, where you see different Spider-Mans. Yeah. Because there wasn't there one where, I, I don't remember if it was a TV show, or if it was a comic I read, where it turned out Peter Parker was the clone, and Ben Riley was the original Spider-Man. Oh, that's Spider-Man. a whole clone saga thing we can't get into right now, but I, 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 we, I will talk to you about that off-air. Probably immediately after this, it gets out of control. Because I never understood. Because one minute I hear Peter Parker's now the clone and Ben Riley's the original Spider Man, but then they switched it because the fans got pissed oh, off. I got, and- I got, I got something for you on that. But did you know that Madam Web was voiced by Joan Lee, Stan Lee's wife? Really? The 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 deceased Joan Lee, sadly. Oh. But um, I thought that was pretty. That cool. man is gonna outlive everybody. Yeah, he he's is. gonna outlive us. Well, that's because the true key to longevity in life is happiness with comic books than the comic man and that's why we have done our best to dive deep into all forms of comic book media as part of the major issues podcast we are 43 weeks and running without missing a single episode covering all things from graphic novels to comic book movie news to comic book movies comic book tv shows all things that come to comic book media and if you like this episode in particular, you can go back and listen to all our other episodes. We have a lot of Spider-Man content dealing with um, we, uh, all the Spider-Man talk we were having with the Witch is Worse and all that stuff there. So we have reviewed. If we if it's come out in the last year or so, we've sat here and reviewed it, and we are looking forward to reviewing a whole bunch more. As part 43 of the weeks, guys. Podcast. We, we're in them annual soon. In nine weeks, we will have been one year talking to you guys. Major issues year one. That's going to that's gonna be a thing, bro. I'm telling you, it's coming. Uh, but yeah. Look up all the other shows that we're doing. Find some other things that you like that we're talking about, whether it be reviews of, of Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, or Luke Cage, or the Daredevil Season 3. That seems to be right around the corner. We have um, MCU movies, the movies of the DCEU. We have the creation of Batman. We have uh, a celebration of black superheroes. We have the best roman- uh, romances and relationships. I think you have the best uh, action uh, comic book movie moments. Best comic book movie moments we have up there. Um but most romantic comic book movie moments we have up there a bunch of stuff and you can find all our stuff on major issues wherever podcasts are found that's podbean podcast addict stitcher google play the apple itunes podcast app and apple itunes in general just search major issues podcast in google and we're the first ones that pop right up uh once you do that if you like what we're doing please rate and review us it's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what we're doing right what we're doing wrong and truly be able to um improve what we're doing here as part of major issues but in reality what we really want to do is we really want to hear from you guys so if you guys want to reach us here and all the things that we do at comic book click go to facebook.com slash comic book click instagram at comic book click or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about all the newest hottest latest and greatest things and please please send us all your emails of telling us to watch Punisher Warzone so I can get this man to watch (laughs) the best Punisher movie that I've ever seen like if uh, I have one person email me to watch Punisher Warzone, we will watch it before this month is up. I, I, please, I, I, people. I'll put that out there. And you can reach us at comicbookclick at gmail.com. Obviously, click spelled C-L-I-Q-U-E. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. We've got so much stuff coming down. Uh, like I said, Comic-Cons around the corner. Venom's around the corner. we got the DCEU uh, streaming. I mean, DC Universe is up and running, which means Titans is around the corner. A lot of big stuff. I'm um, just trying to get into Legion yeah, so I we heard. can talk about new things. Yes, like, yes. Like, so Legion was the first thing that I threw on, and I got past the first episode. It's pretty weird. It's, uh, it's insane. It's, Absolutely it's, insane. It, it is all over the place. I think you like it, I, No, I do like it. Cause I, I I went in. I'm trying to go into it as a comic book property. Yeah. But 
I'm really more falling in love with just the character dynamics and the uh, the, the, and the I plot. Like, like I love Orbit Plaza. So. Oh God, I wanted to mention that that, that too when I first started watching. Yo, you have to watch this show now because Arby Plaza is between Arby Plaza there and Chris Pratt in uh, Guardians. Uh, I'm I'm in heaven. I'm good. Good work, Marvel. You're doing good. You're good, doing good stuff there. But, whew, getting close to two hours here, so we're gonna we're gonna pinch the hose right here, uh, <laughs> right here. At, pinch the hose and stopping the feed to your ears, to your ear holes. Uh, I'm 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 so glad we were able to do this, and hopefully we'll be able to ta- tackle more animated series in the future. But a- as for now, my name is George Serrano, aka the Don, and I am Dan, the Comic Man. And this has been a review of the Amazing Spider-Man: The Animated Series Story Arc, the Alien Costume Parts One, Two, and Three, and whether or not you can be effectively throwing a punch, whether or not you have no bullets and are all replaced with lasers, whether you prefer an entire rhino suit to a mech rhino suit, or whether or not you, yourself, were headbutting Flash Thompson's lap in that car like Mary oh, Jane Watson. <laughs> Remember, we are Venom, we are the Click, and you, yes you, are worthy.